Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC 287, Pereira versus Adesanya 2, or 4, depending on how you count it. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, I can't even say as always, because it's been a couple weeks since we've actually been on camera together. Back with me again, as usual, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? Um, you know what? I always like to be honest. I like to be honest with you. You're the best, you know, host in the business. Oh, I think we have the best listeners in the business. So I try to be honest with them, but not, not doing that well, man. When, you know, you try to get excited for a card and I can't get excited for this card. When you have Chase Sherman and Chris Barnett on the card and it gets canceled. I mean, oh. that's the people's main event. It was the people's main event. And we'll get to that when we get to it. But poor Chase Sherman, they managed to find a guy that he was a two to one favorite over <laughs> turns around and now he's a five to one underdog. <laughs> it's like poor chase. Oh man. Uh, plenty more trivia about chase Sherman when we get to that fight, but I, I share your heartbreak there. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, as opposed to just listening to the audio, you see that both Keith and I have our, uh, Opening day hats on. I, of course, repping your Houston Astros, uh, America's most hated baseball team, and uh, Keith repping uh, the the Boston Red Sox. And that's all we're going to say about baseball out of respect to his Red Sox. Uh, we're going to dig right into this uh, UFC 287 card. <laughs> uh, these two, obviously, they fought for the first time. Well, they fought for the first time in MMA last November at UFC 281. I I'm going to... Let's do a little walk down fantasy lane here. If Adesanya wins that fight, say Pereira hurts him in the fifth round but doesn't finish him, Adesanya wins a righteous decision, just three rounds to two, where are both these guys right now? Who's Israel Adesanya fighting in the spring of 2023? Oh, that's a good question. Honestly, being that he's made his rounds in the division, uh, they could go with, like, a, a guy who deserves it. You know, maybe, maybe like, well, it would be someone new. It wouldn't be... Your Whitaker or your Vittori. It could be like Duplessis, or they could go with the fight that would have sold the most, which would have been uh, Hosmo Shemaev. I, I think it'd be Shemaev. That, I mean, there you go. I mean, other than that, I was going to ask, would there be any chance he takes another shot at 205? But there's so much of a weirdness going on there yeah. that it doesn't need an extra element thrown in. Yeah, yeah. No, What's no. I think he, I think he'd be fighting Shemayev, or or maybe he'd be making rounds. I mean, maybe a third Whitaker fight, I guess. Dude, here's the real question: What's Pereira doing in that case? Because he's proven that he belongs. He can hang with Adesanya. He almost won. He had him hurt in the fifth round of a of a fight where, you know, he ends up losing three rounds to two, but every wrestler in the division is still licking their chops for him. Like, what are they doing with Pereira right now? Oh, he's he's probably, if he lost that fight, he, you know, a pay-per-view opener or, or a prelim fight against a, I don't know. I, I, I always, like, I don't. I don't want to say yeah. Brad Tavares because he's always the guy. I think <laughs> when, Brad Tavares. When, when I think of middleweights, I think of Brad Tavares. I mean, but that that level guy. I mean, maybe not like, like a maybe a Gregor Rodriguez or something like maybe, that. Or 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 do you take uh, Jared Cannonier and see if the, maybe Cannonier just gives him a kickboxing match? Could be. Yeah, maybe yeah. like a fight night main event against Cannonier. Yeah, just kind of weird how everything turned on a dime there, and okay. we'll, we'll we'll analyze that in about two, two and a half hours when we get to that fight. But it's just interesting. 
because when I started, you know, I started looking at their first fight, obviously rewatched it, kind of relived it round by round. And it took me back to my mindset going into that fight where I was already thinking what Adesanya would be doing in early 2023 if he beat Pereira like I picked him to. And I don't know if the middleweight division is better now for this, but it's sure more interesting. Oh, it absolutely is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and if he if Pereira wins, it, it opens up the entire division. Yeah. But uh, if uh, Adesanya wins, it puts everything on hold because now they're going to do a trilogy fight. A tri- uh, trilogy uh, fight in MMA. In uh, MMA. Yeah, a quintilogy fight. They'll just go best of seven. What they should do is make him coach a season of tough against each other because then they'd also end up doing like a free throw <laughs> competition against each other. It's like yeah, the yeah. coach's challenge or arm wrestling. God, which one of these guys win an arm wrestling? I don't know. But it is huge. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not betting on Izzy on that one. Unless, oh. unless he has like the uh, Sylvester Stallone hat and he does the – he turns it around. You remember oh, that from yeah, over what, the top? What, that, yeah, that just turns his switch. That's <laughs> it. You just turn it around. He can out-wrestle anybody. Uh. <laughs> oh, one other difference. When these guys met for the first time, you know, last November, obviously the narrative going in was – Pereira was rushed into this. They're just trying to make this fight while they can before somebody beats Pereira and and kills any hype. They're desperate for anything to give out Asanya. And I think there was a, the UFC had a little bit of that prove it going into their first fight. They fought in Madison Square Garden. It was one of the most stacked cards of 2022. I mean, it had two title fights. The third event, uh, third fight from the top was Poirier versus Chandler. I mean, it was a monster card. Yeah, it was crazy. This one? Not so much. Uh, give me a grade for this card. I'm still, I'm still pretty high on it. I think there's some good prospects on, on, on you know, the the rise and the main event to me is so intriguing. Even though they've battled each other for a long time now, I'm, I'm still so pumped for this main event. So uh, I'll go like a B plus. I'm not as high on it and probably that's because i was a little behind on my preparation so i had to cram a lot of these fights kind of within the last couple days like a lot of these fighters and so i'm really grouchy at the undercard right now it's like i don't like this i don't like this fight so i i but i mean you said b plus yeah yeah i got like b plus i'll give it a c plus i mean it's got it's got some interesting stuff on the undercard. The main card is, I mean, Burns versus Masvidal. Honestly, I understand why it's the co-main event, but Font versus Yanez is a better and more interesting fight to me. Um, it's a harder fight to pick. I'll, I'll yeah. give that. Um, when you think of the division of welterweight in what's at stake, yeah, I, I think that's the, you know... And obviously the bigger names. I mean, yeah. Masvidal. I mean, Masvidal might be the biggest name on the card. Yeah, Masvidal, honestly. If not, he's number two behind Izzy. 18 months ago, there would, would have been no question he was the biggest yeah. name on the card. Uh, yeah. No, I, I I can feel that. And, I mean, talk about divisional stakes. If Kamaru Usman was still the champ, yeah, this that would be a pretty meaningless co-main event. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Masvidal it, it, wins. Masvidal wins, and I know the UFC is doubling down on this Kobe Covington, and I'm not talking about that. Like that thing's already been that's yeah. two weeks old, and like already sick of talking about that. But like Masvidal starches burns, and you could sell Masvidal going into England fighting 
Edwards. I mean, yeah. there's a backstory there. There's, not saying he, he would deserve it. Not saying he would deserve it. I mean, it's it's, but it, I mean, it's the rematch. The champ deserves a rematch. You know, he got outstruck <laughs> three right. to zero That's right. <laughs> in their first fight. Uh, on this card, outside of the main event, which is a title fight, who was closest to a title fight with a win? Is it Masvidal Tium? Uh, Rojas. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, closest to it. Yeah, no. Nah, you said outside of the co-main event? Uh, outside of the main event. Like the oh, main okay. event is a title fight, but outside of that, you'd say I mean, Masvidal's the guy in the card who's yeah, closest to a title yeah, shot. Or, or, or even even Burns, if he does something spectacular and then, you know, Colby gets hurt or something like that, uh, he's not far off. Nobody else is, is to me, is even – I mean, maybe – yeah, not even the female fights. All right, is anybody close? <laughs> Joe Piper, maybe. I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> maybe just so like he doesn't have to like be like sleeping on Dana's couch anymore. I mean, every time they talk to Piper, he's like, Dana, I took care of me when I was homeless. I assume that means he's just using Dana's guest room right now. So you know, maybe Dana's like, I can get this guy a title shot, and you know, you know, go get his own place. I, I don't you know. know who has a lot of stakes is the Gaslam Curtis fight. Not in a sense in, in of the middleweight, you know, title shot. But if Gaslam beats Curtis and Adesanya loses, you could book that rematch. You know, it was like a fight of the year candidate. I mean, it was it was a fight of the year candidate. It was for the longest time the toughest fight anyone had given Adesanya in the UFC. I yeah. I, I I like that man. I mean, outside of his outside of his two losses and the second Whitaker fight, it's still probably the closest fight anyone gave Adesanya. I, I, I think it was closer to. The, than the Whitaker. I, I don't think the Whitaker fight was as close as people think. I think what happened is a guy, I think it's that he did better than we expect. So we give close rounds to him effect. I, I don't think it was that close, but All right. I'm like a wicked shill for, for Adesanya. Yeah. <laughs> Which is saying a lot because like it, like nobody hates Whitaker's game on the show either, you know? No. Yeah. 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 Whitaker's the nicest guy on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Curtis versus Gaslam. Yeah. That, that's, Oh, we'll, we'll have things to say about that when we get to it. In fact, the more I, I talk about this, even though I just gave this card a, a C plus or whatever, I want to just jump right in. You ready? Yep. All right. First up at UFC 287 is a strawweight matchup between the debuting Jackie Amarim and Sam Hughes. Amarim, the 27-year-old Brazilian by way of Florida, and by the way, that will be a recurring theme on this card as this card takes place in Miami. It is heavily loaded with Florida fighters or fighters who train out of Florida. But a 27-year-old Brazilian training out of American top team is a perfect 6-0 in her mixed martial arts career. This will be her octagon debut. She comes in as the outgoing Legacy Fighting Alliance strawweight champ. She fought most recently last September at LFA 142, where she defended her strawweight title with a first round armbar of Ashley Nichols. Uh, that was the sixth first round finish in six professional fights for Ms. Amarim. And it was the first of her fights to go past the two minute mark to say that she has been dominant would be an exercise and understatement. She's going to see if she can keep that going against Hughes. The 30 year old Washington state native is seven and five overall. She is two and four in the UFC. She lost her last time out. It was a unanimous decision loss to Piera Rodriguez at UFC Fight Night Grosso versus Araujo last October. That snapped a two-fight win streak over Estela Nunez and Elise Reed. So Hughes looking to get back in the win column and eh, possibly fighting for a job here against Amarim, looking to get, uh, keep her 
undefeated hype and undefeated record going. Amarim is a strong favorite to get it done. She's minus 250. Hughes plus 200. There are two things I know about this fight, Keith. I know that Sam Hughes is better than I thought she was, but I also know that she is an absolutely dreadful she has an absolutely dreadful style matchup in Amarim because Hughes to me gets her best work done on the ground. And she definitely does the best when she is the better wrestler, when she can determine whether the fight takes place on the feet or on the ground. And unfortunately for her, that isn't that often uh, for someone who's a good sized straw weights and like fairly like well-built, she gets pushed around a lot. Uh, Piero Rodriguez took her down. It might have been in all three rounds. I know she took her down in the first two rounds. And when Hughes wanted to take Rodriguez down, she was not always able to. I mean, she couldn't take down Tisha Torres in her UFC debut, despite being three sizes bigger than she was. Torres took her down and slammed her. This all spells trouble against someone in Amarim who, yeah, she's just 6-0 and relatively untested as an MMA fighter. But she's a two-times two-time Mundial's medalist. I mean, she never won the gold, but she came in second and third uh, in Mundial's. She won Mundial's, I think, at the blue, purple, and brown belt levels. I mean, she's legit one of the most promising grapplers to cross over like she did, where she crossed over in her early to mid-20s, kind of said, all right, I've done enough, I've accomplished enough in grappling that, you know, I, I, I kind of know where I stand. I'm satisfied with that for now. I mean, I would rather have make some money. <laughs> let's let's yeah, let's go make some money. Uh, let's take on some people that aren't full of steroids. Um, well, less full of steroids. <laughs> I mean, I, I would much rather have a 24 year old who meddled a couple times crossover than like a 34 year old who, you know, won Abu Dhabi multiple yeah. times, you know, like a Michelle Nicolini type. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the same thing we talk about wrestlers. I'd rather have the guy that was an All-American a couple times but was, you know, training MMA when he was 20 than, yeah. you know, a guy that washed out of his Olympic dreams in his late 20s. So I think this is going to be a showcase for, for Amarim. Hughes has only been tapped out once as a pro, but you may remember it because it was her getting absolutely highlight reeled by Vanessa Demopoulos in LFA. I don't think Amarim's going to need to do anything that fancy i mean i think amarim is going to be about as big as hughes much faster uh hughes likes to start out swinging and then be able to take it to the ground if she sees an advantage or she's getting uh traffic she doesn't like on the feet i'm guessing that amarim probably just takes her down with like a body lock and trip or something in the first round and then nothing spectacular probably just moves to mount and smacks her around until she turns her back and chokes her out or maybe peels off for an arm bar. But give me Amarim by first round submission and the hype will keep going. I mean, she is attractive and marketable. She's super exciting in the cage. This fight won't answer any of the real questions that we have. Like how will she look against somebody that she can't tap out in the first round, but uh, it'll be plenty to, to get the UFC uh, play by play and color commentators like get him going early. Yeah, um, this is a fun fight to start off. I agree with a lot of things you said about uh, Sam Hughes. Like, I, I agree that she's much better than her record shows. Um, she's definitely like your builder where the, the pace picks up as the fight goes along. Uh, she definitely has like a boxing style, quick hands, 
good footwork, cuts angles well. Uh, she combines her kicks and her punches together well, which uh, not many people do, especially like prelim UFC fighters. I think I I, I think she's a little bit better wrestler than you credit her. Uh, I mean, she got takedowns against Leeks Reed, Stella Nunez. Uh, she likes to get in the upper body locks uh, and get some takedowns. I think defensively is is the issue, uh, which is the big issue against someone like Amarine. Uh, she struggled defensively. Like uh, Piero Rodriguez took her down like four times. She was taken down by Loma Labumi, who I also think is an underrated wrestler who's actually really improved in her wrestling. Uh, to her credit, Sam Hughes does a does well to get back to her feet. Uh, if she ends up in a scramble and she's on top, um, some pretty decent top pressure. She has three submission wins, but you mentioned that Demopolis submission in the past, uh, and now she's facing the best grappler, someone even better than Demopolis. Uh, Amarine on the feet, very wide base with her striking. Uh, her striking, from what I've seen, I mean, she has six fights, six finishes. They're all like a minute long, so this, it's, it's hard to get a lot of information on her striking. Um most of her striking is just to close the distance, though she does have a 10-second knockout over Megan Owen uh, where she lands this beautiful overhand right right away. Uh, she throws a lot of naked leg kicks, so she's going to get blasted for that. Uh, but it's all about to get the fight to go. She shoots entries. She doesn't set them up well. She's kind of dives. She's definitely a, like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu wrestler than a you know a pure wrestler. Uh, but what I do like is she cuts the corner well. She understands angles when she gets on the hips. Uh, she will pull guard. You mentioned she's an elite grappler. BJJ Black Belt has meddled in the, the Moon Dolls and stuff. Uh, we're not going to give her crap that she meddled and she's never won the championship. Like <laughs> when we win podcast of the year, then we'll stop giving people, you know, crap for only meddling, you know? Like, uh, Ariel, can you sprinkle at least one our way? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, or Luke Thomas or whoever these, you know, these guys yeah. went in. Um, when, when, she, when the fight hits the ground, I mean, you see how good she is smothering top control. She advances position on the ground really well. She's got all stoppages in the first round. Uh, she can get submissions from any position. I seen it hit the slick knee bar in the LFA. Uh, the big question about her entering this fight is the, you know, experience, but more the cardio, like how's her cardio being that she just stops everyone so quickly. Uh, it's hard to trust uh, Emron, you know, due to the lack of cage time. And not seeing much on her feet other than like a 10 second knockout. But I'm with you, man. I'm still picking her hair. Uh, I think she finds a way to get to fight the guard. Even if she has to pull guard, once she does, she finds a submission. I think it's, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be over uh, early. I'm going to go first round submission too. All right. Next up on the UFC 287 prelims is a featherweight matchup between Shailan Nurdembeka and Steve Garcia. Shailan, the 28-year-old Chinese fighter, is 39-10 and 10 overall. He is 3-1 since joining the UFC uh, two years ago. He lost his debut to Josh Kulabau. Since then, he has rattled off three straight wins over Sean Soriano, TJ Brown, and Derek Minner. The most recent of those, the Minner fight, was last November at UFC Fight Night, uh, Rodriguez versus Lemos, where he knocked him out uh, on the ground in like a minute. He'll look to make it. I don't, I don't remember that fight that much. Was there any talk about that fight afterwards? Yeah, I weird. I, I'm surprised. I don't remember that happening. Yeah, it was <laughs> over right. over real quick, and you know, if, if anything came of it, you know, yeah, just like, move right on. It was probably part of a bigger news story that you know just it got swept <laughs> up in the flood. <laughs> He's going to look to make it four straight, hopefully in uncontroversial fashion against Garcia. 
The 30-year-old uh, Jackson Wink product is 13-5 and five overall. He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Uh, worth noting, he's 1-0 since dropping the featherweight. Uh, he dropped the featherweight last October, took out Chase Hooper in just 90 seconds at UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Allen. So he will look to keep the featherweight experiment going in successful fashion. He is not favored to do so. Shai Yilan is minus 210 as the favorite. Garcia plus 165 on the comeback. Man, poor Steve Garcia. He's a six-foot-tall lightweight. He comes to the UFC, and they match him against three straight guys who are bigger than he is. He gets Luis Pena, Charlie Ontiveros, and Maheshate in his first three UFC fights. <laughs> Hold on a second. In fantasy. It was Luis Pena. Who was the other two? Charlie Ontiveros. Okay. And uh, Mahashate. All right. I mean, like two two pretty low guys. <laughs> oh, I'm 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 not saying like, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're high level. Just and then he drops to featherweight, and they find manage to find a featherweight who's taller than him too. Garcia's uh, like, what what do I have to do? He finally has a fighter shorter than him, but here I think is where the the other shoe is going to drop because. The real problem with Steve Garcia to me is I was kind of surprised when he made it to the UFC period. I never thought he was that high level when he was in Bellator. You know, the Bellator experiment ended with him losing to like a still very green Ricky Tercios and a super washed up Joe Warren. And then, you know, he went back to fight in Jackson Wings home promotion. I figured that's all we'd hear of him. He won on the contender series, didn't get signed because uh, there were a couple of really impressive winners on that that episode. I, I never figured we'd see him in the UFC, and here he is, and he's a big, tall guy who likes to strike, isn't a super great athlete, and uh, has some defensive lapses and is kind of easy to take down. Like, Luis Pena is an underrated offensive wrestler, but Pena took him down pretty effortlessly and racked up like a 10-8 round, just mowing him down on the ground. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. And on the flip side of that, Shai Yilan is someone who's done better in the UFC than I expected. Like, when you come out of China and you already have a journeyman's record, that's saying something because the guys <laughs> who come out of China and they're 20 and one are, are you know, not always. Uh, he had the James Krause of China opponent. Yeah. <laughs> like, Honestly, like, I was going to call him the Derek Minner of China. Like that's <laughs> like, that's exactly what I was going to say. Kind of this short, compact guy who likes to brawl and go for opportunistic submissions. Yeah. And, and, you know, already was like, you know, already had like almost 10 losses before he even got to the UFC. Yeah. He's like the, the Chinese Derek Minner, but since then he's proven he's at least better than whatever version of Derek Minner we got last November and in winning pretty straightforward fights over Sean Soriano and TJ Brown, he's kind of showed that he's, I mean, he's, he at least belongs. He's better than the, the bottom shelf of UFC featherweights. And he's like, he's done well in the ways that I always kind of look for when fighters again, come over from China or from former Soviet republics especially if they're physical specimens who, who, you know, get by on a high motor or high athleticism. Does that carry over after a couple of cycles through USADA? In his case, it, it really has. I mean, he's proven that he has decent three-round cardio, not elite, elite for that division, but, but good enough. And yeah, he's still the same fighter he ever was. He's still just 28 years old. I mean, he may still be improving, even though he has the record of like a 36-year-old man. And here, I expect him to just have too much for Garcia. If 
he obliges Garcia with a brawl on the feet, I think he might still get the better of it. And I think he can take Garcia down if he wants. And if he's smart, he will. Uh, give me uh, Shailan by decision here in what should be a really fun fight, but probably just because Shailan makes it more fun than it needs to be. Okay. Um, Garcia, he, yeah, I mean, he's he's a southpaw. He's he's very big for the weight class. Moving down, he's going to be even bigger. Long and lengthy guy. On the feet, he's extremely aggressive. Like, you're saying that it'll be fun because of Shailan instead of like, you know, giving yeah. Garcia the fun he wants. Uh, so, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying with that. But also, Garcia, if he gives the fight that Garcia wants, Garcia is going to make it fun because he's he's aggressive to a fault in a sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, he walked into a incredible knockout by Mahashate because of how aggressive he was. Uh, in fantasy, his last fight, he looked a lot better. He teed off on Chase Hooper. Uh, and he showed he's got some power. He, I mean, he dropped Chase Hooper four times in like, I don't know, a minute and a half or something. Mm-hmm. But, but in, in, it might say more about Chase Hooper than Steve Garcia, uh, as you know, Hooper's is as low as it is in in the UFC. Uh, he's got very good volume, bit of a headhunter, good jab. His straight left is his best punch. He can overthrow his shots, which leaves him open to counter, and he can be like a wild brawler. Uh, he also defensively, he really like. You know, he doesn't roll. He, like, really dips his head down and ducks to avoid shots, which is going to get him uppercutted or or kicked, and then someone's going to time a kick or something and, and, and knock him out cold. Uh, he has some good kicks. Uh, he doesn't throw them enough, though. He will wrestle a little bit. I mean, he, but you mentioned it. Uh, I mean, he got he got he got a takedown against Luis Pena. He's got three takedowns against Charles Ontiveros, but he also was taken down in fights against Luis Pena, which is not a good – uh, good idea, but he has some mean ground upon if he's on top. I, you know, I'm definitely not high on on Steve Garcia, but he, he's like I th- like you said, he's fun. Uh, Nuren Beckoff, I didn't look at his notes again. Like I, I wasn't going to learn anything from the Derek Minna fight since. So like I took notes before the Derek Minna fight, and then you know whatever happened happened. Like all right, we have 26 fighters. I got to watch film on. I skipped Nurem back off. Uh, so what I'll say this, they're, they're, we're not a gambling show, but there are some gamblers who watch the show. Can you do me a favor? I'm not a gambler, but if uh, – what's, what's what do you say? Nurem Beckoff's like a two-to-one favorite or something like that? Yeah, he's like minus 210. Yeah, if he turns into like a 10-to-one favorite, can you let me know real quick so I can get him – can I get a bet? Because I know some guys like to watch that stuff. So I can get a bet in real quick if the line moves drastically. Um, I mean – Never back up. I, th- I think he's a. Uh, I do think he's a minus athlete. I think he's a better athlete than Steve Garcia, but I still don't think he's like a great athlete for the UFC. But he's very strong, very stocky guy. Um, he struggled with the speed of Josh Kulabau, uh, but I think that that fight ha- has aged well. Like Kulabau is much better than I thought he was. Um, he has power. Uh, he loves his overhand right. He's a good wrestler. He's relentless to get the fight to the ground. Though he will shoot without a setup, but he out-wrestled TJ Brown, which I think was pretty impressive. Uh, he showed really good hip control to not get taken down in that fight. Uh, he needs to improve his top game. He struggled uh, to keep the fight on, on the canvas, uh, but he yeah you know, he has a bunch of subs on the record, so you can get him that. Uh, I th- I think our, the line shouldn't be as high for Nuremberg. Like I don't I don't think he should be that big of a favorite. 
uh, you know, because of the size of Garcia, you know, he's a bigger guy, a guy who could probably match, match his power. But I'm, st- I'm still leaning Nuremberg Beckoff due to what you talked about, the huge wrestling advantage. Uh, I, I think he can get some takedowns himself. So I'll take Nuremberg Beckoff by decision. Next up at UFC 287 is a 160-pound catchweight matchup in which the UFC is making uh, lemons into lemonade here as Ignacio Bamondes and Trey Ogden both found themselves without dance partners and the UFC matched them up. Bamondes, the 25-year-old Chilean by way of uh, Chicago. He's a product of Valley Flow Striking. He is 13-4 and overall. He's 2-1 and one since joining the UFC out of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted uh, almost exactly two years ago, dropping a split decision to John McDessie. Since then, he has back-to-back third-round finishes of Roosevelt Roberts uh, and Rong Zhu. Uh, the Zhu fight was last February. He got the first submission of his career, a third-round Bravo choke, uh, so he's looking to make it three wins in a row. He had been scheduled to take on Nicholas Mota on this card, but Mota withdrew with, uh, I believe he was sick, might have been injured, but uh, he dropped out within the last week or so. So uh, Ogden gets the call. Ogden had been scheduled to fight Manuel Torres a couple weeks ago, and uh, Torres fell out of that card with an injury. So they brought Ogden along, bumped it up to 160 pounds for him, and he steps in. Ogden, a 33-year-old Kansas City native, former product of uh, Glory MMA and Fitness, is 16-5 and overall. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. He debuted last April at UFC on ESPN, Luke versus Muhammad 2, where he dropped a split decision to Jordan Levitt. He came back last September at UFC Fight Night, Sanhagen versus Song, and won a unanimous decision over Daniel Zellhuber. Uh, in this fight, Bamondes is a comfortable favorite. He's minus 290, Ogden plus 220. Keith, every time I look at Ignacio Bamondes, I think they should make 160 or 165 pound division for him anyway. He's not the tallest lightweight in the UFC, especially after we just talked about Steve Garcia and his whole gauntlet of opponents, but he just seems huge. And Ogden's not small either. I, I like that oh. this fight is at 160. Who do you like in the fight? Yeah, it's you mentioned that. Besides like being a long and lengthy guy, I think he's a good athlete too, Baham Mondays. Uh he's he's a good striker on the feet, technically sound, fights out of both stances really well. Uh I, I like that he uses his length and grabs uh, at the hands, which we'll talk later on about one of the fighters in the main event where they like to use the hands, which I love. Uh, he switches co- stance mid combination to continue to like, change angles. Uh, good volume. He uses pressure well. He can be t- a little too aggressive and get a wi- get wild, kind of just winging overhands. Uh, but he's got a lot of like variety in his combinations, which I like. Uh, I like that he targets the body. He does keep his chin high in the air with a little tall man's defense, which I which you know is concerning. But he has some serious power. Um, he doesn't like being pressured though. Uh, he wants to be the bull. But I love that he'll use like step in knees, uh, a lot of kicks, use that in the game to keep his range. He's not much of an offensive wrestler, um, but he does have some like that tall men strong takedown defense where it's, it's hard to take him down. And if taken down, he does well to get back to his feet. Um, Rongju tried to take him down, um, and, and, he, and when he got him down, he swept Rongju. I, I apologize if I'm saying his name incorrectly. Perfect. Saying it perfect. Yeah. Okay. 
he'll 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 play a little BJJ off his back, which I don't like. Um, even though I did just say he can get back up to his feet, but what he does, he'll, you know, he's got those long legs, so triangles and armbars. Uh, he's you know, he gets submissions in, in a lot of positions, but he's really good with those head attacks, guillotines, darse chokes. Uh, he fun- he finished Rongzu with with a darse choke, and you know, going back to the regional scene, he showed that he has cardio to go five rounds. Now, Trey Ogden, I thought he beat Jordan Levitt, uh, but they even lose to Jordan Levitt. <laughs> uh, it's aged better than it did at the time when I was making the Jordan Levitt jokes, uh, but uh, it, it's still. Still not a good loss. Uh, he's you mentioned he's he's a big guy for the weight class. I think he needs more output on the feet. Like that's what cost him the Jordan Levitt, where he just didn't let his hands go enough. Uh, he needs to attack with more combinations instead of throwing a lot of single strikes. He he looks for his right hand like way too much. A little bit of a Josh Koscheck, Dan Henderson, like winging overhand right. Uh, when he goes to the body, it's something I really love. He's got some good you know body punches, good kicking game. Throws a lot of calf kicks. Doesn't check leg kicks though. I mean, Jordan Levitt kicked him like 200 times in the fight. Uh, he will wrestle. He he doesn't really set it up too well. He kind of overextends. Uh, he's hard to take down. He showed some good takedown defense. Uh, but when he was taken down, like against like Jordan Levitt, he struggled to get back up. Uh, but he did in that fight show really good submission defense. Uh, he's got 11 subs of his own on his record. Uh, he, he even almost submitted Jordan Levitt, uh, in which which was a good thing. Like Levitt might have been saved by the bell. But another thing that it cost him was that he faded in that fight and and probably gave Levitt the win. And that was a fight where, like, it wasn't that high of an output. So, I I I, I I'm glad that these guys stayed on the card and they you know put them together. I just don't think this is a good matchup for Ogden. I. I think this is a mismatch. I think Bahamonde is, is better than him ever. I think he batters him on the feet for much of the fight until he finally finishes him off. I say it's going to happen late. Give me Bahamonde's by third round TKO. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty much everything you're you're putting down here. Uh, and I like that you mentioned that that Bahamonde is, is a, he's a surprisingly nimble athlete because he looks like a Titanic lightweight, and it's almost deceptive. He has a lot of finishes with kicks that you can tell that his opponent was just surprised, like just surprised that the leg got out and tagged him in the liver or in the head as quickly as it did. Uh, yeah, he's got just deceptive speed. Uh, he's got a ton of power, partially just he's got natural power, just kind of that biomechanical advantage of when the lever is that big, just there's a certain amount of power that comes with it, you know, that kind of Thomas Hearns thing. No, I'm not saying that he's the next Thomas Hearns, but that that kind of thing. And he's better on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> okay, side question. Who wins Jordan Levitt versus Chase Hooper in a kickboxing match? Uh, it's Levitt. Now, he, <laughs> now, now these unle- unlocked like yeah. the, the leg kicks of death. He's <laughs> That's it. Would have been a hard harder question a year ago. Yeah, I would have I would have picked the referee. The, the, real, yeah, the real question would have been how much I would have had to pay you to watch it. Um, but yeah, I'm with you here. Like Ogden, it's been a cool story to see him get to the UFC. I'm glad that he's still getting fights and uh, apparently kind of circled the wagons and gone back to his own gym in the wake of the collapse of Glory MMA and fitness. But I'm pretty sure the Ogden versus Torres fight got far enough along that we previewed it. Cause I remember saying 
I'm concerned about what his training situation might be as far as, you know, bringing in UFC level training partners and, you know, or getting head coach instruction because some guys can do okay as their own coach, but not many. And that question still lingers out there for me about Ogden that plus he's the one that's kind of coming in if not on short notice kind of weird notice all the things that might lead me to think an upset is more likely are not there like all those boxes are checked in Bob Mondes's favor he was the one already training to fight this week and he's younger he's improving from fight to fight and as you said he's probably a bad matchup for Ogden everywhere Ogden's never been stopped in his pro career with strikes but I'm with you. I think this is the we see it uh, for the first time here. I think Balmondes just busts him up at, at range with his punches, sets him up for a highlight reel type kick, like either just crushes him to the body after showing the head kick, or maybe crushing him with a head kick after showing to the body. But uh, yeah, Balmondes by a second round knockout for me. We head now to the strawweight division for a matchup between the returning to the division, Cynthia Calvillo and Lupi Godinez. Calvillo, the 35-year-old Californian, is 9-5-1 overall. She is 6-5-1 in the UFC. Uh, she's 5-1-1 at strawweight, however. Uh, off of a draw with Marina Rodriguez in the uh, at UFC on ESPN Overeem versus Rosenstrike back in 2019, she decided to move up to flyweight she won her debut at flyweight against Jessica I and then dropped four straight fights against Caitlin Chikagian, Jessica Andrade, Andrea Lee, and Nina Nunez. Given that the 125-pound experiment clearly was not working, Calvillo moves back down to the division where she was once a pretty highly regarded prospect in the hopes of salvaging anything and not losing her fifth straight fight. Standing in her way will be Godinez. The 29-year-old Mexican by way of Canada is 8-3 overall. She's 3-2 in the UFC. She lost her last time out. It was a unanimous decision against Angela Hill at UFC on ESPN Vera versus Cruz last August. Prior to that, she had won back-to-back fights over Loma Lagunmi and Ariani Carnalosi. Odds here pretty heavily favor Godinez. Uh, she is minus 245, Calvillo plus 195 uh, in her return to uh, 115. Keith, on the one hand, Cynthia Calvillo lost four straight fights and nobody would have been surprised if she'd retired or been, you know, cut by the UFC. <laughs> but, no one retires. I mean, yeah, no one retires. Like, she'd be doing like a dual, you know, duet Siamese boxing with with Bob Sapp and yeah, Darkest or some shit. I, she trains out of Thailand. It'd be really easy to get her on one of those cards. Uh, but you look at it, they weren't bad fighters. She lost to. I mean, Caitlin Chikagian and Jessica Andrade were top top contenders. Andrea Lee and Nina Nunes were still were at least kind of middle of the road UFC fighters. It, I think I know what the answer to this is already, because I've previewed enough Cynthia Calvillo fights with you. But is there any spark? Is she going to rekindle uh, any interest here by dropping down to 115 against Loopy? Well, she can't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> that was about the answer I expected. Maybe <laughs> delivered with a little more style. Excellent. I love yeah, that. I was, I was never like the biggest Cynthia Calvillo. Um, yeah, she definitely had moments, Yeah, you know. But 
she, I, I like her going down to, to 115. Um, I don't know if Lupi Godinez is the right opponent because you kind of want to go down. You're, you're the smaller person. You want to be stronger. <laughs> you're going against one of the strongest person in the division, and Godinez might might be the wrong opponent. But besides that, Calvillo looks like she's declined. Uh, she's a She's a terrible athlete. There's nothing that jumps off the page for me in a good way when I watch Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, she's a boxer. She fights out of both stances. She likes to slip and rip. But I think her striking is pretty weak. Um, she throws a lot, but she lacks power. Uh, she throws a lot of kicks, but there ain't nothing special in those kicks. Uh, she's very heavy on her front foot, so she's open to leg kicks. I mean, Nina Nunez, who, yeah, she's good, but, uh, I mean – this is Nina Nunez that, that you know had a baby, was gone for a long time, you, you know, right, right, yeah, yeah. She she fought yeah. Mama Nunez, not yeah, not, yep. uh, yeah, okay, yeah so. at, post post baby yeah. Nunez for sure, yeah, yeah, like gone for a long time. You know, she she's an undersized fighter for the division too, and she she destroyed Calvillo uh, with leg kicks. Calvillo is pretty much a one dimensional fighter. She's a grappler. And the issue with her grappling is, is she's not a wrestler. She's a weak wrestler. Uh, she will shoot, but it isn't great. If she gets a fight to ground, she does have some good back takes. And and she has some hard ground upon. I'll give her that. She does have a mean streak in her. Now, Godinez is a, is a wrestle boxer who presses really well on the feet, good volume. She does well to cut off the cage and trap her opponents. She works to get in the pocket and unload tight shots, quick hands, great power. Uh, she she's pretty accurate. Um, she showed that, um, like her right hand blasted Sylvia uh, Gomez, uh, so Savannah Gomez Suarez. She generates really good power when she steps in her shots. She's a strong wrestler, good entries, very physically strong. I mean, she gets in the hips and she just slams you. Uh, I, I go back to like the when she threw Jessica Penne around like a rag doll. She did the same thing against. Uh, Gomez Suarez, she she took down Loma Labumi. Oh, Carnalisi, like the official protein but, snack of the Shill and the Duffy shows, <laughs> are all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I was building up to that. Like, oh, sorry, oh. yeah, no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> Listen, Ben, I'm never going to complain about you interrupting me. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's. I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody in the comments saying, "Damn, Ben interrupting Keith again." <laughs> So someone's um, got a tally, like keeping score out there. Like, yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh it's three thousand to three, and all three times you did it, you were like correcting something I said that was wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, she was slamming around, uh, kind of Losi, which is good. Uh, she hit. I, I wrote this in my notes, and I kept in it. She had this beautiful duck under against kind of Losi. Just uh, the reason why I liked it, you just, you just don't really see duck hunters a lot, a lot in uh, MMA. The only person that she struggled to get down was uh, Luana Carolina, but that was like Carolina was way too big for her. And the other person I was surprised she couldn't get down and that was Angela Hill, but that was because she just completely abandoned the wrestling against Angela Hill and, and fought exactly the fight that Angela Hill wanted. Um, you know, she circled the perimeter of the cage and just let Angela Hill hit her. Um, if you try to take her down, she's a really strong takedown tense, strong top game. Uh, really good. At, like you saw in the kind of Lucy fights, just following the hips um, and she sort of some slick BJJ uh, with her belly dot armbar against Suarez. I mean, I'm taking Gordinas here. I, I think she beats Calvillo everywhere. I think she lands better shots on the feet. When Calvillo goes for takedowns, I think Gordinas is going to be the person that ends up on top. I think Calvillo 
I think Kavya is tough that she'll make it to the distance, but I think she gets the break speed off of her. Uh, I think we might even get some 10 eight rounds. It, it, as long as Godinez doesn't fight like she fought like Angel Hill, which she's not attacking, not being the bull, but I expect we see good Godinez, multiple, you know, maybe a 10 eight round, maybe multiple 10 eight rounds. Give me Godinez in a blowout. I just for the, the sake of the interest of our listeners, I wish I had something to argue with you about here. And really, this undercard in particular is full of three to one, like two to one, three to one, five to one favorites. I'm not going to make an upset pick just to be contrarian. Although every time I'm looking for things that might lead to one, but here, as same as in other fights we've talked about, even the unknowns seem to break in Godinez's favor because Calvio looked largely miserable at flyweight, but also she moved up to flyweight because she was, you know, moving into her mid thirties and was uncomfortable with the cut to 115 and just thought she'd perform better at 125. So it now being three plus years later, she's now 35 going to turn 36 in a couple months. I can't picture her being better at 115 than when she left off. Like, so yeah, she's going against a younger, fresher fighter who's physically better suited to the weight class, a much better athlete, and actually does have a couple of elite level skills where, as you pointed out, there's really nothing Calvillo does at a standout level at this point. Like Calvillo would kind of need to win a grindy grappling match or a low power, medium output striking match. Godinez isn't going to give her either of those things. Uh, I think this will go to the ground and it's go to the, going to go to the ground by Godinez throwing her around quite a bit. Uh, I'm with you on, it's probably going to go to decision. Calvillo remains tough. She is a, a wily veteran. She's only been stopped by a serious accumulation of damage or just getting blitzed by someone like Jessica Andrade. But yeah, give me Godinez to win a really lopsided decision here as well. We head now to the middleweight division for a matchup between Gerald Mearshart and Joseph Pfeiffer. Mearshart, the 35-year-old Wisconsinite, is 35 and 15 overall. He is 10 and 7 in the UFC. He won his last time out. It was a third-round guillotine choke submission of Bruno Silva last August at the UFC Vera versus Cruz card. Uh, prior to that, he had lost a unanimous decision to Christoph Yatko, but uh, he'd won three straight before that. So he has won four of his last five since providing part of the UFC's introduction to Hamzat Shmaev back in 2020 and just reminded uh, the fans in general that he's still a pretty damn good fighter. Uh, he's going to get to fight yet another fairly highly touted prospect in the form of Pfeiffer. The 26-year-old Pennsylvanian is 10-2 and two overall. He's 1-0 in the UFC. He won his way onto uh, he won his way into the UFC in his second try on the contender series uh, last July. He knocked out Osman Diaz in the second round. Much was made of kind of his emotional story, his struggles and so forth uh, with injury and everything else. The UFC signed him. He debuted in September with gonna just put it out there about as softball a matchup as the UFC could possibly give him without signing somebody new uh, as he plunked Alan Amadovsky in four minutes. And well, here he takes his step up to take on a real live dangerous opponent who is 
uh, above 500 in the UFC and uh, has finished, if not better, at least more proven fighters than Pfeiffer. So uh, Pfeiffer gets a bit of a test here, and he is favored to pass. He's minus 190, Mearshart plus 160. Keith, explain to me why Mearshart isn't just going to get beat up on for 11 to 13 minutes and then guillotine this man. <laughs> That's exactly probably how it's going to go. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what my favorite about the whole the whole preview, uh, your whole intro, was that you said, like, Alan Amadowski is the biggest softball you know, in the UFC. I just imagine, because like, he just sounds like he'd be so much better. Like if you're a manager of a guy making his, you know, professional debut or even an amateur debut and they're like, yeah, we got off of this guy. Uh, he's also making, I don't know, I don't see his record name, but his name is Alan Amadowski. You yeah. know, like, now nah, we'll play on the next card. <laughs> like, yeah. what? No, what a, no, no, no. And they show you a picture of him. He's this jack dude, like this 32-year-old Macedonian, you know. Nah, then, nah, yeah. I'm a Dowski? No, no, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, yeah, is there a Mick Williams around? Or yeah. <laughs> is, is there a guy from New England? Is there, is there, yeah. is there a New England guy around? <laughs> um, I will find out. Gerald Murshad. Um, yeah. Jeremy Marshad is like the definition of grizzled middleweight veteran. Uh, he's a he's a minus athlete that just wins fights by doing by being super tough, super intelligent, uh, super just like gamey if that if that's even a word. Just like always being there. He fights with a high pace, southpaw, good volume. He, he's definitely a builder. Um, Besides his volume going up, it almost seems like his confidence rises. Like when it starts getting to those those tough minutes in the fight, um, he knows he's mentally tough. His hands are kind of slow. Um, kicks kicks are a good part of his game, especially um, you know kicks from the southpaw into the orthodox stance against an opponent, uh, especially to the body. Uh, not a strong offensive wrestler, but good enough to time takedowns. Uh, you know, to think, you know, get his opponents thinking he's striking and then drop down or something, or just kind of creating a scramble and and finding something. Uh, he's a he's a bad defensive wrestler. It's something that makes it worse because he's a guy that like will jump guillotine. But he, to his credit, his guillotine's nasty, and he's a submission threat everywhere. Uh, his last fight, yeah, you know, against Bruno, they were talking about that he catches submissions in transitions, and and I think that's actually a really good. You know, he's not a guy who takes you down to set up. He just catches it as, as a scramble happens. Um, he does struggle to get off the bottom, but he can get a sub from there. My big concern is he's taken a lot of damage over the years. I mean, he's 35, but he's an old 35. I mean, the bottom could drop on, on him at any time. Now, Joe Pfeiffer is a hard-hitting guy. He's serious power. He throws like a power jab, uh, and then he just whips his power shots behind it. Uh, his his KO on the contender series is, is like one of my favorites ever. It was fantastic. Uh, his his left hook is super dangerous. I am worried about him going against a guy like Mersha because yeah you know, he is all power shots and if he gets tired that's like Mershaw's world. Um, and he has slowed down a little bit and he doesn't like being pressured. He wants to be the guy being the bull. Uh, he has some hard calf kicks. He isn't like we think of Piper and these knockouts. He isn't just a striker. Like he's very physically strong. Uh, I, I think that's why he's a pretty solid wrestler. Um, some slick back takes. Uh, he I have seen him ride a little too high in the back in loose positions. 
uh, and he only has two submissions, but um, he almost got a headed arm chuck on the contender series. So it's something to watch. It, the X's and O's, it seems like this should be an easy fight to pick. Like it should be Piper, but I actually think it's a really hard fight to pick. Like Piper has all the tools, but I've seen Mershad get this done so many times to be, he, he's, this is a huge step up in competition for, for Piper. Um, and I've really flip-flopped on this one. Um, but I, I am going to go against my own judgment, and I am going to take Piper. I think he lands a big shot, and and perhaps this is the decline of mere shot that we've been waiting for. I think Piper gets a first-round KO. But if he doesn't knock him out early, it doesn't hurt him, doesn't get you know two rounds in the bag and, and kind of run away a little bit, I, the next bet – like if you know if you're a gambler, like I'd take a fight for a first round knockout or you know inside the distance, and I'm take or or just take inside the distance, like because I it's either fight we're gonna win early or you know most likely or Mirshad catches something late. So um, I don't know what the the under the distance bet is or something like that. We save that for the betting shows, but that's something I would bet on if it, you know if the odds were somewhat okay. But yeah, I'll say uh, fight for by. Gets my, I'm talking myself out as I'm talking. Uh, but I'll take I'll take Pfeiffer by knockout. First round, second round. Uh, yeah, first round. Well, this feels to me like a two true outcomes fight. Uh, it is possible to catch and knock out Gerald Mearshart early. Obviously, the 17 second loss to Hamzat Shamayev is going to stick in everyone's mind. It. It's what really cemented uh, Shamayev's hype train. Like yeah. blowing out uh, uh, Jack Marshman in his UFC debut. Everyone's like, well, yeah, but Marshman was on his way out of the UFC anyway. But sure. beating a pretty good fighter in Mearshart in 17 seconds is when everyone kind of opened their eyes. Yeah, face planted him. Yeah. 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 Face planted him. That's always going to be part of Shamayev's highlight reel. It's also always going to be part now of the scouting report on Mearshart, even if that isn't fair, because if it was easy to do that, more people would have done it. Like Ian Heinish did it. Ian Heinish hits like a truck. And at the time that that fight happened was, I mean, was still pretty well regarded. He was like a fringe contender at, at uh, middleweight. And then Shemaev, who still might well be a, a future champ. There are two things I know coming into this fight. Pfeiffer is built in the mold of the guy that could absolutely put Mearshart away early. He's super aggressive. He hits really hard. And there's subtlety. He's not, he doesn't just come out swinging like a maniac. I mean, you pointed out the uh, Osmond Diaz uh, knockout. What was beautiful about that was it was this perfectly timed little short left. It wasn't like he just came in, you know, swinging this massive overhand. It was like a, a beautiful piece of work in traffic that just flatlined Osmond. Uh, so, of course, he could do it, but. Pfeiffer, this is a huge step up in competition. He's been, he's only been to the third round once, and it was in like his second fight. He has been, I mean, he's mostly been knocking people out in the first round or knocking him out in the second round of fights he was dominating ever since then. Meanwhile, Mearshart, he's 10 and 7 in the UFC. All 10 of his wins are finishes, and like eight of them are submissions in the second or third round. Like that is what Mearshart does. He survives the onslaught, unless he doesn't, and then he guillotines you or he takes your back and, and chokes you out in the second or third round. If Pfeiffer knocks Mearshard out in two minutes, 
I'll know something. We'll, we'll all know something new about Pfeiffer. We might be learning something new about Mearshart. Like maybe it is the part, the beginning of that long, slow decline. But I, I've seen this movie before and I know how it ends. So and, unless, you know, this is a, a gritty and depressing reboot of the Gerald Mearshart movie, give me Mearshart to probably, un, you know, pass through some danger in the first round, survive, even if he loses that first round badly, even if he's a little bit rung up. It's just going to be, it's going to be opportunistic moments for Mearshart and, and danger for Pi for the longer it goes on. And I don't trust Pfeiffer not to get tired and or make a mistake in such a major step up in competition. So I might look silly in 90 seconds, but <laughs> sharp second round submission here. Mearshart's going to win. We head now to the heavyweight division for the obligatory unranked heavyweight slobber knocker of UFC 287. And I got to tell you, they don't get much more unranked than this, as it is Carl Williams versus Chase Sherman. Uh, let's introduce Sherman first as the guy who knew he was on this card all along. The 33-year-old Mississippi native is 16 and 11 overall. He is an absolutely dismal 4-10 and 10 in the UFC. That is across uh, multiple stints with the promotion, but he is 2-5 and five since returning uh, most recently. He's on a 2-5 and five run. He did uh, make it to the final horn his last time out. It was a unanimous decision loss to Waldo Cortez Acosta at UFC Fight Night Zechiku versus Kudalaba last November. Prior to that, he had knocked out Jared Vandera in the third round at UFC on ESPN Dos Anjos versus Fazeev last July. Uh, Sherman had been scheduled to fight um, Chris Barnett in what would have been the people's main event. As Keith mentioned, it uh, would have been pure joy. It would have made everything about this card <laughs> worthwhile. Unfortunately, uh Chris Barnett withdrew either due to injury or running into a sign that said, you must be this tall to ride. We're not sure on exactly what it is, but uh, on short notice and short turnaround back comes Carl Williams, uh, eight and one 33 year old uh, out of Atlanta, Georgia. He fought on the contender series last September, uh, took a unanimous decision over Jimmy Lawson, got the call to fight Lucas Brzezinski, uh just in March, just, it will be uh, four weeks layoff. He took a unanimous decision over Brzezinski at UFC Fight Night, Jan versus Dwalishvili. He steps in on short notice here, and he comes in as a massive favorite. Sherman, poor guy. He had been almost a minus 200 favorite against Chris Barnett. He gets his opponent flipped at the last minute. Williams is as high as minus 500 on some outlets. He is... Minus 390 or minus 400 is a good median for your respectable outlets. Sherman out there around plus 300 or plus 320. Chase Sherman, man, here we go. He is 4-10 in the UFC. That is the worst winning percentage of any fighter with at least 10 bouts in the UFC. Like, obviously, if you came to the UFC, you lost three in a row and you're gone, your winning percentage is zero. But if anybody that got a real chance, he has the worst UFC win percentage of any fighter with at least 10 fights in the UFC. Keith? You win a prize if you can uh, tell me who is second worst. It, and it's a two-way tie. So if you can name me either of them. Think of fighters who got a lot of UFC fights and had I, a terrible record. I had a guy in my head and then I, I instantly like popped out. Is well, Sam Alvey had a terrible run, but he, I don't think it's him because he had a, he did have a good run in between. For yeah, he's barely bit. under five hundred when you add it all yeah, out. Yeah. Um 
the worst record in the UFC. Guy who had a big run. It's going to be like super obvious when I. One um, of them is super TK? obvious. T- TK? No, he didn't have that many fights. Um, why would I go? Why would I go back that far? Um, I don't know. All right. Well, uh, it is a tie between Josh Berkman. Josh Berkman. I know. I would have. You gave me a hundred guesses. I would have guessed Josh Berkman because I thought he was actually okay. Yeah. And Jessica I. I don't know. Yeah, former main event Jessica. I. Okay, yeah. Jessica I makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they're both like four and eight. You, or something you know why? You know why I would even think? I thought of terrible fighters. Yeah, I don't think either one of them were terrible. Mm-mm. No, no, like like they're not the worst fighters to pass through the UFC. There are plenty of people that went zero and three and were never heard from again. Yeah, but they won enough early on, or like I was in a division that just needed a body, and. Berkman, like he was on tough and he had some interesting wins early on. So he hung on and hung on and hung on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the, anytime there's a trivia question, for some reason, Brad Tavares always goes in my head and I couldn't get Brad Tavares on my head. I, I know the answer is not Brad Tavares. <laughs> he's good. Yeah. Poor Brad Tavares. Why am I, why am I catching strays? I'm, I'm like, I'm a perennial top 15 fighter. Like, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. Brad Tavares is good. But I couldn't yeah. get it. I'm like, get Brad Tavares out of your head. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway. Keith, we've previewed a lot of Chase Sherman fights together. More than any man should have to. Yes. I've, I mean, I've had, my notes on him have not especially changed. No. He looks like everyone's idea of what a really good heavyweight should look like. He's a six foot four, six foot five, 250 pound guy who's not fat. He looks like a plus athlete. He looks like he, he should hit like a ton of bricks and just none of it's true. He's a medium volume low power striker like notably low power striker for the heavyweight division he's not a good offensive or defensive wrestler he has acceptable cardio for heavyweight unless he's getting trucked but if he's getting trucked the fight doesn't go past you know the the first seven minutes anyway his only wins since he's been back he's two and five since he's been back and the two wins are jared vandera and ike villanueva both of whom are just on the bottom shelf, and both of whom have also fought at 205. The good news for Sherman is that Williams used to fight at 205, but, man, I I almost want to pick Sherman here because I'm still not sold on Williams. I, I You were higher on Williams than me coming into his last fight against Lucas Brzezinski, and you, I mean, you were right. He beat him, and he beat him bad. I mean, he racked up at least one 10-8 round and just completely dominated him but I don't know how well that's going to age. Like he may end up being the only guy that doesn't finish him. I, I, I don't know. <sighs> and he's coming around on relatively short turnaround. It shouldn't matter. Cause he's kind of medium sized heavyweight. Anyway, he weighed in at like two forty for, for that fight. He's going to be faster than, than Sherman. And if, I mean, if Sherman has his way, he'll engage in a kind of boxing range, just kind of boxing match. And Williams is going to be better than him at that. He has more natural power. He's got faster hands. I think he's a better kicker. <sighs> yeah, I, I can't. I can't do it. I can't pick Sherman. I almost. I almost did it. I almost pulled the trigger. <laughs> yeah. G- yeah, give me Williams to to uh, you know win going away. I, I bet he wins all three rounds. If he decides to take it to the ground, I bet he can take Sherman down. But why would he bother? Uh, you know, 
he, he's going to be outlanding him on the feet. Um, <laughs> so we were talking on the, the intro and I was making jokes about, uh, this, you know, Barnett versus Sherman fight get canceled. And you're like, Oh, they got a replacement for Jay Sherman. I had no idea. I had no idea. <laughs> so you like, were, you were just throwing something out there and it just happened to. That, yeah, this is what I said to myself. And then you said, all oh, the guys go five to one favorite. And I just like want to play cool. Cause you know, we're fresh with sure dog with the leader in, in, in the news. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's a reason why you're full time and I'm not, that's that, that right there. tells you, uh, but you know, I want to act professional, but then I was like, I don't know who, who it is before you even said the odds, but I'm like, I'm taking that person. I'm going to chase your Like throwing whoever it's going to be. But, I was but when you that. hear it's a five to one favorite, you assume no, no, okay, like, okay. it's a, it's a pretty good fighter. Like it's yeah. not Curtis blades, but you yeah, know, it's I'm like, Oh, is it like uh <laughs> Volkov they called up or something? Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, I, I would think I, you know what I'd rather do than break down a, a Chase Sherman fight. I'd like to like think of ways that Chris Barnett got hurt. Like, like, was he at like the, like, I just think like, he's at one of those like discos where they, they do it on rollerblades. And he like oh. pulled muscle, <laughs> like he was doing a split and roll blades or something. I'm just thinking he's like at the Kroger trying to reach something on the top shelf and like knock the can <laughs> off onto his head. You you're thinking of something like exciting. Right. Well, I'm just saying something because I, I feel like that's how he trains. Or he's like he's like training and his coach is like, <laughs> like, like, doing, like doing splits on the roller skates and like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also still has like a slice of pizza in his hand too while he's doing it, it's like smiling like women and stuff. They got the disco music playing, you know. I like this a lot better than my my picture. Wow! I just uh, I just like picture his coach like holding pads, like all right, all right, Chris, we're gonna do a jab, and he's like, nah, this is like flying, spinning twirl kick, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, and he got hurt. I don't know. Uh, so put it put in the put in the uh, comments. Well, well, what, what the what's the best way that he got injured? Yeah. We'll Wrong answers him. only. If you know what really happened, don't ruin. Yeah, it. yeah. They'll say, oh yeah, he fractured his to be or something like unless that. one of us was right if one of us was right like please let us know <laughs> <laughs> um yeah chase sherman you know what i'm just gonna pass like is okay. that right like, yeah. like what am i gonna add to different like he's he sucks at wrestling he's he, he's got decent kicks like his calf kicks are okay he's a guy who wins on volume but doesn't have volume if that makes sense well that uh, would explain just, his win-loss record yeah i, I just i'm just done with at least Chase Sherman, when he had his manager writing tweets for him and stuff, was fun. Like, go back to that. Like, we all know it's fake, but just it's okay. Like, hire some comedian and, you know, just let them make, like, call up Adam Hunter and just like, hey, Adam, well, you want to run my Twitter? And like, just, hey, just Adam Hunter. All, all the jokes that you, Adam, don't want to put out yourself because you don't want the heat, like, just do them for my just account. Put on like, Chase Sherman. Like yeah, yeah. He can be like a, like a funny Colby Covington, but a terrible fighter somehow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um car wins so i uh i i pulled i <laughs> while you were in, introducing sam hughes i was pulling notes for carl williams um yeah he's a smaller heavyweight i think he's a good athlete he's very explosive fast hands good jab throws straight punches down the pipe uh, i think he hits hard good teep kicks good calf kicks i like to checks leg kicks uh, he's despite being small, he's strong for his size. He gets on your hips. He can slam you. He's a good wrestler. I go back to like contender series where he was throwing around Jimmy Lawson, a former Penn State University wrestler. Um, some body lock takedowns. Uh, he will shoot through your hips. Some good ground and pound. And even though he looked like he was, you know, the last fight went 15 minutes, and he looked like he was getting tired, he was still landing takedowns and and ground and pound. You know, in the 15th minute. 
I think he mauls Chase Sherman. <laughs> like, um, I'm not on the fence at all. Like, like I, I think he's better than Chase Sherman everywhere. I think he's gonna hit beat him up on the feet. I think he's gonna pick him up. I think he's got I think he's gonna I think he's gonna pick Chase Sherman up over his head and slam him. Because he like he does he likes to do that. He likes picking guys up up in the air. I think he's gonna pick Chase Sherman up up in the air and slam him. Did Romanov do that? Like, was was Romanov's takedown on Chase Sherman? I try to like, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. I try to block out every single thing about Chase Sherman in my head. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, he he did kind of a, a medium thing, and then and Sherman got back up. Yeah, Romanov gave him the full like ride, like, the full suplex. Him. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like uh, he might get suplex again. All right. Uh, so that, that's what we're hoping. Of. Like that's all. Let's root for Carl Williams to. To like pick Chase Sherman up in the air, whether it be a suplex, whether it just be like a double, like that's what I'm rooting for. Um, that's that's my prediction. I'm gonna say he picks up, he slams Chase Sherman, then finishes him with ground and pound. Uh, I'll say second round TKO. Next up at UFC 287, it is back to the strawweight division for a matchup between Michelle Waterson Gomez and Luana Pinheiro. Waterson Gomez, the 37 year old Colorado born. Uh, fighter fighting out of New Mexico is 18 and 10 overall. She is an even six and six in the UFC since uh, coming to the promotion as a former atom weight champ in Invicta. So 500, despite not really having uh, the best weight class for her to compete in. However, uh, she's been on a rough run of late. She's lost four of her last five going all the way back to 2019 and is currently on a two fight losing streak those being a unanimous decision loss to Marina Rodriguez uh, in May of 2021 in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 24. And uh, in her return last July, a second round submission loss to Amanda Lemos that was at UFC on ABC Ortega versus Rodriguez. So she'll be looking to get back in the win column. Standing in her way will be Pinheiro. The 29-year-old Brazilian is 10-1 and overall. She is 2-0 since joining the UFC out of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. She won her debut in not, not really controversial, but strange fashion as uh, Randa Marcos was uh, disqualified for an illegal upkick late in the first round of their fight. That was uh, back in May of 2021. She came back in November of that year and... Uh, took a unanimous decision over Sam Hughes. That was at UFC Fight Night Vieta versus Tate. Pinheiro had been scheduled to fight last April uh, against Jessica Penne. Penne was forced out of that fight, and when Penne was ready to fight again, they went ahead and booked her against somebody else. So Pinheiro's been on the shelf for quite a while, but she does come in on the strength of two straight wins in the UFC and eight straight wins overall, and she is a moderate favorite to keep that streak going as she is minus 160 right now, Waterson Gomez plus 140. Keith? Michelle Waterson, now Waterson Gomez's entire UFC run has been a case of her either getting it done or not getting it done against women who are generally a good bit bigger than she is, sometimes in surprising fashion. I mean, we've seen her kind of push around and out-wrestle much bigger women, but it seems like time and the division have caught up with her as she's lost four of five, and she's not favored to win it here against Pinedo. Does she get it done? If so, how? How? how, it- how? Yeah, the one the one argument I'd make for Michelle Watterson Gomez is that like she's lost the studs. Like, there's not a loss on a record that's bad, you know. Um, 
or at least recently. I'm not. I'm, I'm talking about yeah. you know regional scene losses 10, 12 years ago. I mean her UFC losses. I mean Rose Namunas, Tisha Torres, Joanna Andrzejczyk, Carlos Esparza, Marina Rodriguez, and Menelemos. <laughs> like all, that's, all top yeah. five, if not top three fighters. Even her wins, um, you know, Angela Magana, Paige Van Zandt, not the best wins. I mean, the Paige Van Zandt win at the time seemed much bigger than it, you know, it didn't yeah. age well. But then after that, like, I mean, I guess Courtney Casey is that great of a win, but Felice Harris is a solid win. Carolina Kovacavich, Angela Hill, like, those are solid wins. Yeah. Um, uh, Watterson, it, it's tough to kind of, ex, you know, explain figure out what you, you, you're going to get from her because she has been pretty inactive. Um, I mean, I know she, it's been almost a year since she last stepped in the cage. It was like a year before that one. You know, she hasn't won a fight since 2020. Yeah. So you're getting close to three years now since she's won a fight. So it's kind of hard to, you know, figure out what you guess. You kind of have to base on what you last seen. She's got good footwork. She's, despite being small, she wants to fight from distance. She likes using that, like, well, she wants to be either all the way in or all the way out. She never wants to be in that pocket, which is, which is kind of strange for a shorter, smaller fighter. Uh, she likes her like her her best friend Holly Holmes sidekick to keep distance. She likes to dart in and out, land shots, and then you know use her speed to get up, you know, before the, she gets countered. Uh, a little bit. Of, she likes to play a little bit of like cat and mouse game, kind of have you chase her, um, and then kind of she stop on a dime and you run into one of her shots, um, or she crashes in inside. Uh, she's got, I'd say, a great kicking game. She likes uh, – it, well, I shouldn't say great. It's a unique kicking game. Definitely like a more of a – like, I mean, it's, I mean, her name is the Karate Hottie, so it's definitely a karate style to it where it's like hook kicks and oblique kicks and it's not your traditional Muay Thai, you know, hard teep kicks up the middle, hard calf kicks. It's more Steven Thompson hook kick stuff. Uh, despite being very undersized, she's strong in the clinch. I mean – she she beat up Karolina Kovacavich. She beat up Felice Herrig in the clinch. She had success against Joanna Young Jacek in the clinch, which was really impressive. She has a judo background, so she gets inside, looks for trips. She loves that stupid head and arm throw, but she's one of the people who's actually very good at it. So uh, I still hate it, uh, but she she likes it. Strong top game, uh, great back takes. I mean, she she took the back on, on Joanna Young Jacek in that fight, uh, but she's 37, so... 37 who's inactive, so it, it wouldn't be shocked if she looks terrible because, you know, long layoffs later on in in your career is not a good idea. Now, Pinero, I think she should be undefeated. I'm going to keep saying this until she actually loses the fight that she lost. The one loss she has, I thought she won that fight. Uh, she's a great athlete. She moves really well. Good footwork. She's well-rounded. She darts in and out of range really well. Fast hands. Uh, she's solid in that, like, mid-range striking, too. Plus power, good volume. She sets up her clinch, uh, you know, get into the clinch where, um, she, you know, she uses her striking, kind of gets you to come up, and then she comes inside, grabs the clinch, good dirty boxing, crazy judo throws. Like, she loves being in there. Um, so she'll give up her back going for throws, which I don't like. But, I mean, you go back to the random Marcos fight, and I know that's a controversial one the way it ended, but, like, she was throwing around Marcos before that. Uh, like, that's one thing people forget. Uh, she's good at winning scrambles. She's a legit submission threat. Uh, one concern is she did kind of slow down and gas out late against Sam Hughes in a fight that she was, you know, winning pretty easily. 
I I feel like this is a passing of the torch kind of fight where Pinero is bigger than her. I think she might actually initiate the wrestling um, to get past Waterson's kicks. Uh, Waterson is a very underrated grappler, but I I think I would still favor Pinero in, in the wrestling. I think she banks like two rounds, just being bigger, uh, winning the grappling exchanges. And then I hold. I think she holds off a late start from Waterson, and she wins a decision. So it can be Panera by decision. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Unless something really strange has happened to Pinero in the, what is it, like 18 or so months she's been off. The favor, the, the matchup really favors her here. I, I like, you know, we, we've joked before on these shows that Waterson's nickname is the karate hottie but at the ufc level she's more like the clinch and wrestling hottie <clears throat> she is capable of spectacular kicks she just doesn't get to or doesn't choose to unveil them very often in the ufc like open workouts michelle watterson is breathtaking and spectacular uh right up there with she's, her she's pretty breathtaking with not open workouts either okay but i <laughs> do different kinds of breathtaking but yes uh <laughs> In the same, she's breathtaking at open workouts in the same way her longtime Jackson Wink teammate, John Dodson, is, where you see things in. <laughs> Who's also the, breathtaking outside the cage, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where you see things that look like they belong in an action movie, if not a cartoon, but then rarely, if ever, are unleashed in the cage just because it's not practical. It's extremely admirable that she's found a way to keep winning, even though the UFC basically drafted her to help build a division that is not her best division. And there's a good chance she would have moved up to 115 by now anyway, just through the process of going from 30 to 37, having children. But I probably robbed her of some years of contention at, at 105. Nonetheless, a very admirable uh, career she's had. We're definitely on the, the tail end of it. And 115 is a division where where speed does kill if she's if that top gear is slipped at all that's going to cost her in this fight more important than that is that her approach is not going to work well on pinedo the head and arm throw that she's one of about three people in the ufc who make it work consistently is not going to work on a former brazilian national judo champion it's just not and if she tries it she's going for a ride is, uh, is that national Brazilian judo better than the Kentucky <laughs> judo I, federation. You know, they, they've never had a dual meet. No. So. <laughs> but Give the people what we want. If, if the dual meet took place in Brazil, I guess the Kentucky judo federation would not have to buy tickets back because they would be flying through the air. <laughs> I, yeah. Pinheiro, a lot of the same questions, you know, like just, and unless there's something that has, compromised her physicality or kept her from training regularly during this time off. I, I think she kind of takes Gomez to the woodshed here. Just the stuff that Michelle Waterson Gomez does isn't like Pinero is not going to let her do it. And it, it's just not, it's not going to work. Give me Pinero to win all three rounds here. And I, I do, I do agree that she slowed down late in the Hughes fight, but Hughes is bigger than Watterson Gomez by a lot and was a pretty resisting foe, even though she definitely lost that fight. We may find out about Pinero that she has plenty of gas to go 15 minutes if she's completely dictating the action. And I think that's going to be what we get here. Give me Pinero to win all three rounds. And I agree. It, it'll be a bit of a passing of the torch moment. Next up at UFC 287. And at least as the card is currently constituted, the top prelim is a middleweight matchup between Chris Curtis and Kelvin Gastelum. 
Curtis, the 35-year-old Ohio native, is 30-9 and nine overall. He is 4-1 and one since joining the UFC uh, in late 2021. He rattled off three straight wins over Phil Hawes, Brendan Allen, and Rodolfo Vieira to mint himself one of the most surprising you know, debuting fighters in the UFC in the last few years. Uh, that fun came to an end against Jack Hermanson in a fight that could have propelled Curtis actually into the title picture, however, briefly. Uh, he dropped a unanimous decision there. That was last July. Uh, came back in December at UFC 282, got back on the winning track with a second-round knockout of Joaquin Buckley. So he's going to look to make it two in a row and put a pretty notable name on his resume in the form of Gastelum. The winner of the 17th season of The Ultimate Fighter is somehow still just 31 years old, uh, despite, well, I guess he's been in the UFC for literally a decade because he was like 21 or 22 when he won the show. Uh, so that adds up. He is 16 and 8 with one no contest overall, 11 and 8 with one no contest in the UFC. He, of course, uh, experimented with welterweight and welterweight plus early in his UFC run was more or less forced up to middleweight after uh, blowing weight. He is four and six with one, no contest since moving up to middleweight. Uh, and he is in the middle of a rough patch. He has lost uh, five of six. He's on a two fight losing streak. He lost uh, twice in 2021 which is the last year we saw him, dropped unanimous decisions to Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. Obviously, those were top fighters at the time and remain so now, but he has been out ever since then. So 17 months away due to two injury withdrawals on his part. He's been injured multiple times. So while he is just 31, he may be starting to look like a 31-year-old with a significant amount of tread off the tires. Nonetheless, despite the dismal recent record despite the long layoff due to injuries on his part he is a slight favorite here this is the closest fight on the card in terms of the odds as of the beginning of fight week but right now gastelum is minus 130 curtis plus 110 keith these guys are kind of meeting in the middle i've said multiple times that curtis is a guy that i figured we'd never see in the ufc just a real fun regional journeyman and it sounds terrible to say that it's not meant to be insulting but it was meant as what i thought was high praise for him at the time i mean i saw him lose twice and retire twice in one night at pfl back in 2019 and i figured that was the last we'd see of him maybe period and certainly in any kind of major promotion and instead he's here he's on the outskirts of the rankings i he's he's a hell of a success story by any measure and on the other side You've got Gaslam, who in some ways feels like he should have accomplished more by now. And in other ways, things have fallen apart so completely that you wonder how much of it is smoke and mirrors. There's a little of the same dynamic as there is with Michelle Waterson Gomez, whom we just talked about, just talked about where, yeah, he's one in five in his last six, but none of the losses were to chumps. They were all to top 10 fighters. Most of them were to top top five fighters. Yeah. I mean, the whole ball started rolling downhill with a loss to Israel Adesanya for an interim, interim title. And it was, like we said at the time, about as tough a fight as anyone had given Adesanya in his entire career. How much does Kelvin Gastelum have left in the tank? Does the, has the, move, does the move to fight ready, you know, which is clearly, you know, an, a really solid camp of the last couple of years, does it give you any more hope for him? And how do you feel about him in this fight with Curtis? 
<laughs> Calvin Gaslam might be the oldest 31 year old since like I don't know the 1800s and people were dying in gun battles and and uh and that, that or the Olsen twins like oh, yeah oh yeah <laughs> anyway uh, good call um you know, you're talking about Galvin Gaslam. One thing I loved you said you're like, oh, he doesn't feel as as he has accomplished as much as he as he liked at 31 years old. It's like, yes, <laughs> fill in every other 31 year old on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, could you come up with a more stereotypical description of a 31 year old who smokes weed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm looking at Gaslam's record, and it's like, talk about. Like a who's who, but like go back from the Jake Ellenberger, which was 2014, so pretty much a decade now. Let me let me read you the list of opponents he's faced since Ellenberger. So Jake Ellenberger, Tyron Woodley, Nate Marcotte, Neil Magny, Johnny Hendricks, Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, Chris Weidman, Michael Bisming, Jacare Sousa, Israel Adesanya, Darren Till, Jack Hermanson, Ian Heinish. Robert Whitaker, Jared Cannonier. Holy Christ. <laughs> I, I mean, who's the easiest guy on that list? Ian Heinish, who was like a top 12 ranked guy at the time. Yeah, right like Heinish was favored, and Heinish was on the outskirts of the rankings. In hindsight, it's probably Bisping, who shouldn't have been fighting three weeks after getting beaten up by George St. Yeah. Pierre. Who, who's, no, no. Who was the champion three weeks earlier? Yeah, who had been the champion, champion in the division? Weeks, yeah, the easiest guy he's faced in a decade was yeah. a champion in the division three weeks before he faced him. I mean, think of hit the guys that he's been scheduled against that the fight fell through. Uh, Matt Brown, Jorge Masvidal, Donald Cerrone, Anderson Silva, uh, and Mavoff and Duplessis. And it's worth mentioning the one no contest in the middle of this streak. It was him beating the shit out of Vitor Belfort in about four minutes. It got overturned because Belfort popped for steroids and Gaston popped for weed. Like, like you can't go like, yeah, you know what? Like those when, should when at I, least cancel out. Yeah. Like offsetting penalties. Like, yeah. Can I, can I, can I go? This is way off topic. Go for it. This is just like every time I watch the NFL, I've always hated this. If, one team commits a five yard penalty and another team on the same play commits like a 15 yard penalty. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be a 10 yard penalty for the, like, yeah, but the one team, like yeah. the minus. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, there's like a 40 yard penalty down the play, but they had a five yard penalty. Like, okay. Yeah. So mark one team's outside. Yard. The other team roughs the kicker. And, but yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's the chance where like, if the offense moves, and you're like, oh shit, here's my chance to just absolutely like take a cheap shot at Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Just to go go for it. <laughs> you know, do you really like yeah. if I if I was a defensive coordinator, I'd be like, Yeah, yeah, well worth it. But like we won't take the five yard penalty. If you had a chance to like end and Patrick Mahomes game, sure, go for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm I'm with you, dude. Because just for the record, I'm not saying to hurt an NFL no, player. Don't don't hurt NFL players. But the thing is, if Gaslam Gaslam tests positive for cannabis and Belfort tests positive for steroids, like Gaslam's already being pu- punished for using weed. His penalty for using weed is fighting at 185. Otherwise, he'd be the greatest welterweight <laughs> of all time right now. Yeah, I know, I know. Like, That's the other thing. We talk about that record, and he's 
like a foot shorter than every guy he fought against. Yeah, like th- it takes away from the fact that Gaslin versus Curtis is like probably the shortest matchup they can make in this division now that Deron Wynn is gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Kelvin, Kelvin Gaslin. I just imagine Deron Wynn not fighting in the MMA right now, just being like his, like just looking like Chris Barnett. Just same height, same body right now. Yeah, probably. Maybe he grows his hair out a little bit, gets like that, you know, that. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, back to the actual fight. This is actually one of the best fights on the card. And, no, and- no. Well, one more thing. Like, if if Win is smart right now, he's just getting some like really tight button up shirts and going around trying to do wrestling clinics and saying he's Daniel Cormier. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, it, so everything I'm going to say about Gaslam is what I said about him when he was going to fight Imovov, and then it, then it didn't happen. They already broke him down. So this is the same exact notes. Um, his inactivity is is tough to gauge because he's been out for a long time. His motivation is always very questionable. Uh, but in fairness, I actually thought he beat Cannonier. I, I know I'm in the minority, but it was a very close fight. Um, he's he's very inconsistent. Like we've seen him be very good at times and then look very weak at times. Uh, he has a lot of main event experience, so he's got a lot of you know. Not that I, I don't think you know he. He's had bigger fight experience than Chris Curtis, but Chris Curtis has like so much experience too. So like, I don't think that matters in this fight. Just something that was in my notes. Uh, I guess their actual about- cage time is probably about the same, even though like Curtis has twice as many fights. <laughs> um, yeah, probably because the amount of like main event fights Gaslam yeah. had too. Uh, Gaslam's southpaw, he moves really well. He's got good hand speed. Kind of fights and bursts, takes long moments off, and then explodes. Uh, he sets up his shots well with feints. He's got a great overhand left, though he can kind of overextend at times. Uh, he hits hard, though I do. I've said this plenty of times. I think they exaggerate how hard he hits. Um, he does step into his punches, and that's what generates lots of power. Uh, he can make the mistake of reaching for his shots. Uh, he's also been gun-shy at times. Like I go back to like, the Darren Till fight. Like For some reason, he was really gun-shy against Darren Till, um, and he didn't check any leg kicks. Darren Till chewed up his legs. Uh, he can wrestle, but hardly ever uses it. Uh, he has a rock-solid chin, though. I mean, he's got hit by some hard hitters. I mean, I I think Israel Hassan is as good as a striker there ever is in, in the UFC. Jacare, we always talk about his, his, you know, wrestling and his grappling, but his I mean, the guy hits like a tank. Dude, um, Ty- Tyron Woodley at 170 Woodley, is one of the hardest um, one-shot punchers. At, especially at that time, Tyron yeah. Woodley – I mean, Robert Whitaker, another guy in the division. He's not known for his power, but another like really good striker. Um, and he, he's shown that he he can go five rounds. Not that this is five rounds, right, but he can go deep into a fight without an issue. Uh, the the one thing I hate about Chris Curtis is that he's 35. Like, that really bothers me. Um, he is also an undersized middleweight, as he spent a lot of time, you know, in the regional scene fighting at welterweight. He's a southpaw that is a boxer. He's a counter-striker. Um he likes to get in the pocket and throw it on there. He marches down his foe. Struggles to cutting off the cage, though. Like, he he, he follows, and he struggles with a lot of movement. Like, that's where he, he was trying to catch up to Jack Hermanson most of the fight. I, I also dislike that he gives away rounds. And what I mean by that, like, go back to his last fight. Yeah, he knocked out uh, Joaquin Buckley, which obviously was spectacular. But he gave away the first round against Joaquin Buckley just by simply not throwing enough. When he lets his hands rip, I mean – it's nice. I mean, he keeps everything nice and tight. She's got some short, tight hooks, good uppercuts. Uh, he'll smash the body. 
Uh, he's really like having this late career burst in power. Like I'd always say he was a big hitter, but there's something now that's just man. Like he's knocking guys stiff. I mean, he did it to Phil Halls, he did it to Brandon Allen, he did it to Joaquin Buckley. He doesn't throw kicks. It's like just not a part of his game. He also has a very boxing defense. What I mean, like he likes to roll with punches and stuff, which I always think looks worse. Even if they're not landing, it just looks worse. Um, he can wrestle, but he doesn't look for takedowns enough. Uh, if he does wrestle, he's got a good top game. He shows some really good takedown defense against Hadafo Vieira. Uh, and we've seen him go hard. Like he, he won't slow down in a 15 minute fight because he doesn't really waste energy. So, uh, I'm not surprised that this uh, is one of the closest lines. I think it's one of the hardest ones to pick. If you asked me five years ago, I would have, I would have laughed at this. I would have, I would have taken Gaslam by murder. You know, uh, I really want to pick Chris Curtis, and I originally wrote down Chris Curtis as my pick, and I've, I've changed it to Gaslam. Um, I just like. I'm always concerned with the output of Chris Curtis. And being that this is only a three-round fight, if you give away two rounds, you know, you start work, you start, you know, have to chase the knockout. And Gaslam has the better output, and he's faced some really good strikers and showed that he has durability. Again, it's I would I'm not betting on this fight or anything like that, because I, I definitely don't have any confidence in Gaslam at this point. But I think he wins some early rounds. And holds on to a decision. I'm going to say he wins a split decision. I think it's going to be really close. But uh, I'll take Kelvin Gaston. Yeah. This is, for me, also probably the hardest fight on the card to call. That's reflected in the odds. It's apparently the hardest one for the betters to call. There's something I've come to realize about myself. And if you've followed the show for a long time, you may just, like, a light bulb may go off over your head. As Keith says multiple times per show, we're not a betting show. We mentioned the odds because they're part of the story, and we know that, uh, you know, there there are betters that use us as part of their matrix. They think of us as handicappers. I, I feel so flattered. But I always fade fighters coming in off a long layoff, especially if it's due to injury or illness. But no matter what the reason is, you know, like in football, there are – you know, there, you know, there are certain axioms like, you know, you know, you take the double digit dog at home, things like that. For me, if one fighter has been off for, you know, more than 15 months, especially if it's if they've been scheduled for fights and withdrawn from the due to injury, it's hard for me to take them as as a favorite. And this is another one of those for me, just and it feels weird to say this when one fighter is 35 and is closer to 36 than Gastelum is to 32. But Gastelum is the guy I'm more worried is going to look significantly diminished from the last time I saw him in a cage. He is a guy that I agree with Keith. He has an incredible chin, but I'm worried that any fight now is going to be the time when that abandons him. Uh, At 185, despite just kind of looking like a medium fit, former college wrestler, got a little bit of a spare tire. He's always been surprisingly fast and nimble. His reach has rarely ever given him a problem just because he's so good at getting into range and landing cleanly on people. I mean, he hit Israel Adesanya more clean, more times cleanly than all of other, all of Adesanya's other UFC opponents put together up to that point. And a little of it was the, the threat of the takedown, but 
I mean, Adesanya had to know Gastelum wasn't really, really going to take him down, even by that point. It just, Gastelum's really quick. Uh, any fight now could be where that really starts to abandon him. Uh, his proven gas tank, which his gas tank was dicey at 170. It's always been solid at 185. With 17 months off, even being at Fight Ready, which is obviously just a fantastic camp and has specifically been a good camp at getting fighters with weight issues looking good on the scale and and good in the cage. I mean, this may be where that starts to slip. All, all the unknowns for me skew Curtis's way, despite Curtis being the old the uh, older fighter here. I'm not going to be comfortable with it until the final horn sounds and they read the scorecards because they're going to be individually hard to score rounds. But give me Curtis to pick up two out of three uh, and and squeak out of here with the decision and the mild upset. One last question for you uh, about this one, because it's something admirable that I've noticed about Gasolum. And you asked early in this segment, you know, what's the easy fight in this ridiculous string of foes that Gasolum has fought over the last nine years? In Gasolum's entire UFC career, who's beaten him the worst? I mean, Jack Hermanson basically caught him slipping mentally and heel hooked him effortlessly in like a minute, but. Who really beat him the worst? Yeah, I mean, the obvious pick is Hermanson, but uh, someone who beat him up? Um, I mean, Weidman finished Weidman, him, but I it, guess. But it had but been... Weidman almost got knocked out in, like, the first round. Yeah, and, like, Weidman... Like, that's what I'm saying. He was... He's been in there with all of yeah. these guys. Yeah. Weidman... Yeah, he hurt Weidman pretty bad early on. Weidman... Tapped him out in the third round. Weidman is a crushingly heavy top position grappler. Like maybe, maybe Whitaker because he didn't have moments against Whitaker. Like it was a decision. It wasn't like the greatest fight, but he didn't really have moments against Whitaker. And and it was like a clear decision for Whitaker. I, I think that's fair. He looked outclassed against but Whitaker. The, the point is, like, but he wasn't like thrashed. Yeah, yeah. no, nobody thrashes Kelvin Gaslam. Yeah, and I don't think. Uh, Curtis is going to here either, but yeah, I think he'll do enough to get his hand raised. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if, if Chris Curtis starches Kelvin Gaslam, like enough of this being on the prelims thing, it's like he, he needs to be in like a fight night main event. Yeah. The UFC 287 main card kicks off with a bantamweight matchup between Raul Rosas Jr. and Christian Rodriguez. Rosas, the 18-year-old Californian by way of Las Vegas, youngest fighter in the UFC, easily and by far, though, who knows how long that'll be the case since his younger brother just picked up like a 12-second knockout this past uh, week in a regional promotion and is clearly going to get an early look from the UFC just because of the family relationship. Uh, at any rate, the 18-year-old who just turned 18 in October, like he's barely 18 and a half, 7-0 in his mixed martial yeah. arts career. 1-0 since winning his way into the promotion on the Contender Series last September. Uh, he made his UFC debut at UFC 282 last December. Put Jay Perrin away with a first-round rear-naked choke, turned face crank. It uh, looked extremely painful. Uh, at any rate, looking to make it two in a row, looking to go 8-0 in his career, looking to keep the hype going and to continue to justify it. Looking to stop him will be Rodriguez. The 25-year-old Wisconsinite is 8-1 and one overall. 
He is one and one since joining the UFC as a veteran of the 2021 Contender Series. Uh, he won back in 2021, was not immediately signed. Uh, he went and won one more fight in the regionals, then was signed to fight Jonathan Pierce last February, dropped a unanimous decision, came back in October at UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Allen, and choked out Josh Weems in the first round with an anaconda choke. So uh, he's looking to keep his own good vibes going. Uh, he is not favored to do so. Rosas Jr. is minus 30, sorry, minus 230 right now uh, on most of your major books. Rodriguez plus 190 uh, as the uh, as the underdog. Keith, Raul Rosas Jr. is not a complete fighter, obviously. He's 18 years old. Uh, he's... He's not Shavkat Rachmanov. He's going to take a loss at some, even if he's a future champ, he's going to take a loss at, at some point here. Just, you know, there, especially in the 135 pound division, there, there are some grown ass men in that division that are, are waiting to make him pay for his mistakes. The question in front of us right now is, is Christian Rodriguez the, the one to do it? Uh, the question, the big question I have every time I see Raul Rosas Jr. fight is how long can this guy continue to make Bantamweight? Because he's 18, and he is huge for the, the division. I mean, he may not be the tallest guy, but, I mean, he's, he's 5'9", and he's, I mean, he's built differently. He's not tall and skinny like Rob Font. He's a guy, he's got muscle on his frame that makes me think that he may be subjecting himself to a, a weight cut that the 21-year-old or 25-year-old version of himself may not be able to, to make anymore. Like, any, yeah. any agreement there? Do you think that's... No, he is a big guy. But you know the crazy thing is? You said, like, 21-year-old cannot make it, which which very well be could be the case and, and probably like, likely is the case, too, you know, as guys get older. Yeah. <laughs> 21, he could, if he stays active and doesn't have an injury or anything, he could have 10 fights in the UFC by then before he turns 21. <laughs> and, and honestly, like we talked about, he can go on a run and win the title before he turns 21. And then move on. Yeah, and, and isn't it wild? I'm not predicting that or anything like that. Because no. he's eighteen, but he, he's eighteen. What I see when I when I look at him is he is a, a standout athlete. He's extremely strong. He's pretty fast. He coordinated. Uh, he's a, already a very very good grappler, and he's clearly being trained and schooled well as a striker. But it's not. Like it's it's definitely not taking as quickly as as the grappling is. Like his his striking still looks like a work in progress, and he may be one of those guys yeah. that he's it'll all, yeah he's yeah. eighteen it, yeah. everything like a work in progress yeah like I, I he may well have been grappling since he was five years old. I hope he was not getting kicked in the head since he was five years old. So it, it makes sense that he would have started later, uh, and who knows if that'll click fully, but. Even even his grappling, it lacks a certain patience. Like I, I, I worry that he's gonna either like gas out or make a mistake when he starts running into people that he can't just kind of do whatever he wants to on on the ground. I thought the the Mando Gutierrez fight on the Contender Series was actually kind of good cage time for him for that because he was winning the entire fight, but couldn't put Gutierrez away. So he kind of had to go through just more live fire situations on the ground with a re resisting opponent. But there's going to be a whole different level of that 
uh, here in, in the UFC. So as far as the undefeated Raul Rosas Jr., I, I'm waiting to, to see him against a sharper striker, maybe somebody with fight-changing power who isn't a total dummy on the ground, who will be able to get back up or make him work or last till the end of a round and you know get a fresh start on the feet the next round. The real question for me is whether rodriguez is that and he seems to check most of the boxes honestly he's he's a well-rounded guy he himself is pretty big for the division but the way he lost to jonathan pierce i i, I think like i i think rosas uh, is going to be able to do the same thing to him uh give me raul rosas jr here to win a decision but where he's probably he's probably able to get the fight to the ground when he wants to and is probably pretty dominant once he gets there like, I'm not going to pick him to get the sub because Rodriguez is himself a very good grappler. But, uh, yeah, give me give me Raul Rosas Jr. to make the most of a pretty sensible uh, style matchup and a pretty sensible competitive matchup for a second UFC fight. Stay undefeated, keep the hype going, but still leave some questions unanswered. So my only question is, why didn't they book him against Guido Canetti? Like, why can't – you got to get the oldest guy in the division and the youngest guy in the division. Have That's an incredible idea. Let, yeah. Would that be the first time in the UFC if we I had someone be. who was twice his opponent's age? I'm sure it would be. Yeah, it has to be. Because Kennedy's 41. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Was like, how old was, like, Ron Van Cleef when he fought Hoyce Gracie? Ooh. He's, like, in his 50s and stuff. He was, but. I, he was like, 50, but yeah, the, that was UFC, too. So Hoyce was, like, already, like, 28 or 29. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I'd, I'd have to be like, okay, who is who is Arlovsky fought or who is Olenek fought? And Olenek's been close because he was like 44. Yeah, if I knew they were like 26, true. but yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a brilliant I should, idea. I, I should just run the UFC. That's just, you should, you should be the I matchmaker. I just have brilliant ideas. Yeah. Um, I was. Let me say this about Rojas. I see people. I mean, he. He draws so much attention on social media based on you know his story, 18 years old. I had an issue with him being like a tennis series at 17 years old. Just. Just something in my spirit. Just I, not. This is a terrible topic, but um, Victoria Lee. Like I did an interview with Victoria Lee when she was sixteen, and and I said it right to her. Like I don't know how I felt about watching a sixteen-year-old fight in that in a professional MMA fight. Like you should be eighteen. I'm sorry, but um, whatever. It happened. Um, but the thing about Rojas, how you feel about him, I'm amazed at how many people are will say. Like, oh, this guy will never be a champion. The kid's 18. Like, you can't judge anything no. he's doing right now, what he, what skills he has, what skills he doesn't have. It's just to come out. If, if you want to say you want to predict that he'll be a champion, like, I think that's a little, um, like, the other way extreme, but not as bad because the kid's 18, so obviously the sky's the limit. But saying, oh, he'll never be a champion because his oh, striking is this or that or, you know, that's stupid. It's like that's so stupid. Like I'd be like looking at a eleven year old and be like, oh, I think I'll never be a champion in in, in the UFC. Like <laughs> talking, he's a kid. He's a. Um, I was I was getting into it with uh not getting into. It, I was discussing on a, a guy on Twitter. Uh, I'll, I'll give him a shout out, Colin Crandall. He's fantastic, dude. He's MMA Power Hours is is his website and, and yeah. oh, sorry his show, and he you know he was saying how you know he thought Gaslam and and Curtis should be on the main card instead of this one. And I, I totally get it. Like based on merit, of course they should be, but you know, I was explaining why I thought Rojas should be, be on the card. And um, the fact that, I mean, just plain and simple, it's, he's a big story. Like that's just what it comes out. He's a bigger story. He'll draw more eyeballs. 
I don't think anybody's ordering the pay per view. You know, because the eighteen-year-old kids on it, like they, yeah, you know, the casual fan is ordering the pay-per-view because of Adesanya, Pereira, and Miles Vidal and stuff. But when you're hanging out with your friends, you're talking. Yeah, the casual fan like talks over the even the main card fights until they recognize someone like, oh, then they want to pay attention. They want to pay attention to the eighteen-year-old. Yeah, you know, Gasolum and Curtis will fight each other, and they're talking over it. Not not us, not hardcore, but I would say no. the casuals. Sure. No. Anyways, uh, Colin Crown is a fantastic deal. <laughs> we haven't done any really quick story story time with Keith for a second. Sure, Colin Crandall is the nicest guy in it. Like, there's people he 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 might not be just the nicest guy in it. He's just like he might be the nicest guy on the planet Earth. So he he came to Boston for a UFC years ago, and I was there. And uh, another guy I know was there, this Corey Grofield, another great dude. And Colin just kept saying like, "Hey, there's, there's one story I can't tell because." <laughs> it's embarrassing, but Colin just kept saying, "Like, dude, when I get there, I'm taking you guys out. I want to treat you. Dinner's on me." And we're like, "I say something like that. Do you don't think about that? Like, we go out to dinner, but like, you have to take me up." He's just saying, "Yeah, no, we want to go." So finally, we found this like hole in the wall place, and <laughs> he's like, "All right, guys, I got everything." He's like, "All right, well, we'll I'll take salads. We'll all take soups. He always it for the whole table." And then he just starts. Or he's like, "You guys want to share some appetizers? Like, we'll share some appetizers." He orders like every appetizer there is. He's like. We'll take get an onion ring. We get a French fry. Uh, you guys like you. You guys like potato skins. We get some potato skins. We get some mozzarella. Says he's like, all right. Well, I'll get. We'll get big grinders. He starts ordering grind. He finally the lady says no to him. <laughs> she goes, no, no, that's too much food. <laughs> Good. The amount of food that came out. You would have thought it was the freaking the first Thanksgiving with the Pilgrim and the Indians. The, how much the amount of food that came out. <laughs> I'm like, and then like I'm, I feel so bad because he's paying for all this stuff that I'm like trying to eat as much as possible. I'm like, my oh. stomach's hurting. Oh, uh, Colin, Colin Crandall is the nicest. Dude. He, he, he take, he kept taking Uber everywhere, and he just like that talking full conversation with every single Uber person there was. <laughs> like sitting so like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, he's, oh you do this on the side? Oh, you just full time? What's the deal? He just, just have his whole conversation. Is good. Yeah, this is Boston. People aren't friendly in, in the Northeast, but. <laughs> Colin is a fantastic dude. Um, anyways, That's amazing. Yeah, to this fight, uh, Rojas. I the thing that stands out to me is how good of an athlete he is. He, he's very physically strong for someone who he's not in his prime years yet. Uh, on the feet, he's an aggressive striker. Uh, he can fight out of both stances, but he is he's wild. He's a brawler on the feet. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks. Um, he, he likes flying attacks. He goes Superman punches and and flying knees and stuff. Uh, a lot of that is to close the distance uh, where he, when he shoots, he's got a great penetration step, strong top game, uh, advances really well on the ground. Uh, he's he's a strong grappler, good back takes, mean ground and pound. He's a serious submission threat. I mean, he almost got a sous-left stretch, <laughs> you know, in the UFC. Uh, he does chase submissions uh, if it isn't there, which I don't like. Uh, and he, is, he also isn't a great defense wrestler. I've seen him get taken down, but – uh, he's at 18. Like he could be a complete, like all these things I said, like he isn't a good defensive wrestler. He could be, have incredible balance by his next fight. We no idea. Uh, Christian Rodriguez, definitely a lower level UFC talent. This is the right guy for Rojas to be fighting in his second UFC as this young minus athlete. Uh, he's a boxer with a high guard defense, marches forward, uh, high output on the feet, but he's kind of slow. Um, 
I mean, his oh, he, he he throws hard. Like his overhand right was hurting Stephen Pierce several times. He's got some good step in elbows. Uh, he does target the body, which I like, but he's a weak defensive wrestler, not good at winning scrambles. Uh, he does like to go for the guillotine. He almost caught Jonathan Pierce in the guillotine. Uh, he also subbed uh, Joshua Williams in, in an Anaconda show, which I like. So he has four submission wins on his record. Uh, he also has good cardio. Like he was going hard against Stephen Pierce in, in a third round of a fight that he took on days' notice. So uh, this is a proper test for Rodriguez. Um, I just I think Ross passes with flying colors. I think he finds a, a way to get the fight to the ground. I think he locks in a submission too, and I'll see he does in the second round. Give me Rojas by second round submission. The one thing I just pray, like if you're on Twitter and stuff, don't don't like be calling for the UFC to like don't be calling for Rojas to fight a like ranked fighter next time. He's 18. Like he like for the next two years, he should he should be fighting all low level UFC talent. Yeah. He's 18, and there is no reason to rush him. He is in what may be the hardest division in the ufc to break into the top 15 if not it's in the top three like it's right up there yeah like rodriguez might be too high of a test like he, yeah. he might you can make an argument someone lower than that and if he loses to rodriguez uh, people will jump off ship because we oh, all actually, know that this is magical oh, he's, a bomb, but, he's a bomb and all this like, yeah i mean we're on record as saying we think it's too soon even if he wins so uh, that won't that won't yeah. change just no change but win or lose like if he wins i'll feel better about him but if he loses, like, I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless it turns out that he just has no chin at all. And like some like off balance jab, just like drops him like, sure. you know, Kimbo slice. But other than that. Yeah. The UFC 287 main card powers on with a welterweight matchup between Kevin Holland and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Holland, the 30 year old is 23 and nine with one no contest overall. He is 10 and six with one no contest in the UFC. He is two and one at welterweight. Uh, made the decision to drop to welterweight a little over a year ago. And uh, he has wins over Alex Oliveira and Tim Means. Then a quick first round submission loss to Hamzat Shemaev in the makeshift co-main events of UFC 279, which ended up getting contested at, uh, I think it was 180 pounds, something like that. All that last second uh, mix-up that happened because Shamaya blew weight so badly, Holland ended up on the receiving end of a uh, first-round submission loss there. At any rate, came back at 170 in December and lost via TKO after the fourth round against Stephen Thompson in what had up to that point been an absolutely sensational battle and a late candidate for fight of the year. But nonetheless, Holland does find himself on a two-fight losing streak, the second such of his UFC uh, career. He would like very much not to make it three. And uh, looking to foil him in that regard is Ponzinibbio, who just avoided going on a three-fight losing streak of his own. Uh, the 36-year-old Argentinian is 11-5, and five in the UFC 29 and six overall he is two and three since returning from a long injury layoff in 2021 uh he lost to Jing Liang, beat Miguel Baeza then lost back-to-back -back split decisions against Jeff Neal and Michelle Pereira coming into UFC 282 uh last December where he had been scheduled to fight Robbie Lawler Lawler withdrew at the last minute like 
on fight week, if not like way in day, Alex Morono stepped in on the shortest of short notice and was well on his way to beating Ponzinibbio before Ponzinibbio caught him, hurt him, finished him halfway through the third round. So uh, Ponzinibbio avoids the three fight losing streak, would like to begin a winning streak. He is not favored to do so here. Holland is minus 245, Ponzinibbio plus 205. Keith, I, I understand why the line here is what it is because I'm one, I mean, I'm one of what sounds like a minority and definitely a minority in Houston that is fine with the Ponzinibbio stoppage over Morono. I mean, like the way Morono looked just like the by the eyeball test, if I were the ref, I would have jumped in there too because he looked dead, even though it turned out that some of that was whatever the equivalent of a dead leg is for your face. Like, you know, Ponzinibbio just hit that nerve that basically made it look like Alex had a stroke. So yeah, that and and two more glancing blows and I'm, calling the ambulance uh so i get that but fact remains that ponzinibbio was, was really close to losing all three rounds to an unranked fighter who stepped in on like 48 hours notice and i mean that was a real fun fight and most morono fights are but it did not make me it did not sway me from my opinion before that fight that ponzinibbio is looking increasingly shot uh I mean, the, the same guy that had to kind of pull that win out of his hat against Morono, I think is going to get scorched by Kevin Holland. Uh, Holland, for most of four rounds, went tit for tat with Stephen Thompson, who's still one of the trickier strikers in the history of the sport to deal with. Holland has, like, I, I know it feels like some of the shine is off because he was such a sensation during 2020, that first year of COVID where he fought like five times and really propelled himself into the spotlight. And he came up against the ceiling at 185 once he ran into people that could just take him down and wrestle him. But he still, whatever ceiling he's hit, it's above Santiago Ponzinibbio's head. Yeah, he got thrashed by Hamza Chimaev, who was a terrible style matchup for him. And then Thompson beat him in a way that Ponzinibbio was unlikely to be able to duplicate. Uh, Ponzinibbio, despite being 36 and an old 36, uh, I mean, he's still got fast hands. He's still got a ton of power, but he's going to be at a reach disadvantage against Holland. His gas tank, I don't think is what it was, even if he remains dangerous, uh, late into a fight. Uh, like he, he's, I don't think he's a builder anymore. If this goes to the ground, I think Holland actually has the advantages there. I think he's like an underrated grappler when he's not just being bullied from top position by a big middleweight. I expect Holland is going to kind of style on Ponzinibbio, and it'll be sad for that part of me that remembers uh, Pons as one of the most exciting up-and-coming welterweight contenders uh, of five years ago and kind of figured he would have made it to a title shot if not for all of his injuries and illnesses. But uh, if, if you like... Kevin Holland kind of styling and dancing and outstriking someone badly and saying something real funny on the mic afterwards. This is going to be your night. Uh, give me Holland in a dominant decision here. Yeah, I think Holland needs it too, though. Like, I, I definitely think there's some shine off of him, but you know, I mean, like Derek Lewis and saying funny things can last for a long time, but eventually you got to win too, you know, and he's, he doesn't have like that marquee win. So this would, would, be one of his better wins. Uh, you know, Holland, you know, a lot of things I've always said about him. He's long and lengthy. He's a great athlete. He moves well. He's elusive. He's explosive. 
he does make the mistake of throwing from his hips. Um, he's got fast hands. He's pretty accurate, strong jab, plus power, um, long and rangy kicks. Uh, he can blast a high kick. Uh, he's good at following his kicks to crash into the pocket and land shots. Uh, I've said this before, but one thing that always stands out is how quickly he, he closes distance due to his length. He just like takes one step and he's halfway across the cage. He uses his size well in the clinch. He likes like boxing the ears, uh, which hurts a lot more than people think. Uh, he he hits uh, he hits knees in the clinch so easily because of his length. D- despite saying he doesn't ever want to fight wrestlers, he he can wrestle a little bit himself, uh, as you said. He, yeah, he he isn't a wrestler, but he's gotten takedowns on like five UFC fights. Uh, he's a weak defensive wrestler as he's been taken down and like pretty much every single fight, but he's worse is that he struggles to get back up. So uh, I, I was impressed in the, the little moments against Shamayo where he was scrambling pretty well, in, including going for a Grammy role. And he is a submission threat. I mean, he, he caught Tim Means in a beautiful Darce joke, uh, but he was submitted by Shamayo himself. But Shamayo special. Like he really is. Like people say what they want. Like the guy's special. Yeah. Uh, Holland has a great chin. I mean, he's been blasted by some great strikers, just keep coming. But he isn't the smartest. For example, like you mentioned him going like tick for tack with Steven Thompson. Like, why? <laughs> like, have you never seen Steven Thompson fight? Like, you wrestle him and you win. And that's something that Holland should have done uh, a lot more. Now, Ponzinobbio, he's a striker that used to be, you're right, it was all about volume. And uh, yeah, he wants to fight from range set up his shots and traps. Uh, he uses feints well. Uh, DC pointed out in one of his fights that he he does really well to win the foot battle, so his straight right is always lined up. Uh, he's explosive. Uh, his hands used to be very quick. I think I do think they're declining a bit, uh, but I like that he attacks with combos when he does throw. Like His left hook is his best punch. He's definitely a power puncher for the division. Uh, hard calf kicks. He can wrestle himself. Uh, I mean, he, like he got to take down against Jeff Neal. He took down Michelle Pajer, and Those were like back-to-back fights. And he's insanely tough. Like he'll take some, eat some really big shots. I go back to like Pajer, where he eat some big shots and keep coming. Uh, but cardio used to be a major strength, and I don't think that's the case here. I think he was he's slowing down. Where I'm with you, man. I, it's hard to trust Holland at all because Holland will put himself in the worst positions possible. Um, like. Stand in the pocket and just throw it down with with Santiago Pazinian would be, would be the worst strategy, but I can see Holland doing that just because it, it seems like he wants to have fun and challenge himself more than he wants to win. Um, but he's faster. He, I, I think he actually probably hits harder of the two right now. Uh, I see he works Pons with his speed and his range. Pons is super tough, so I don't know if he finishes him, and, and especially because I, I can see Holland hurting him and then smiling at him, like high-fiving him and stuff instead of just going in for the kill. So give me Holland by unanimous decision. Third from the top on the UFC 287 main card is a bantamweight matchup between Rob Font and Adrian Yanez. Font, the 35-year-old Boston native, is 19-6 and six overall. He is... Nine and five in the UFC. He does come into this fight off of a two-fight losing streak, those being back-to-back unanimous decision losses to Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera 
in the main events of UFC on ESPN 31 and 35, respectively. The most recent of those, the Verifight, was almost a full year ago. It was last April 30th. Uh, it's been a lengthy layoff for Font, perhaps recuperating from two five-round wars in which he got fairly battered. Uh, but nonetheless, he is back. And uh, for the first time in... Uh, Three fights, not headlining a fight night. Instead, he is on one of the UFC's uh, big pay-per-view cards of the year, and he gets to meet Yanez. The 29-year-old Houstonian is 16-3 and overall. He's 5-0 and since joining the UFC out of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he knocked out Brady Wong in 40 seconds there, then uh, since getting to the UFC, has racked up wins over Victor Rodriguez, Gustavo Lopez, Randy Costa, Davey Grant, and Tony Kelly. Of those five, Grant is the only one to make it to the final horn. They had a surprisingly fun scrap uh, back in November of 2021, but in Yanez's only fight of last year at uh, the UFC on ESPN Cater versus Emmett card, he put away Kelly late in the first round after just kind of boxing him up pretty soundly. Uh, Yanez is on a nine fight winning streak overall. And after five straight in the UFC has finally earned a legit top 10 opponent font is it. And Yanez is a moderate favorite to keep the good vibes going. He is minus 180 font plus 155. Man, Keith, I'm going to toss this to you. I mean, it's a Boston fighter against a yeah. Houston fighter. So the, the Let's do it. <laughs> come on, Rob font represent. But you know what? We were just talking about Raul Rosas Jr. Adrian Yanez is a pretty good example of how hard it is to get a top <laughs> 10 matchup in the UFC yeah. Bantamweight division because he is he's 5-0, and oh, four finishes, and the one fight that went to decision was a fight of the night, super yeah. exciting brawl with Davey Grant. <laughs> Aside from that, he's dominated everybody. About the only thing he's done wrong is not be named Sean O'Malley. And this is all. This is what it's taken him. Yeah, the, you you either have to have this incredible character like Sean Malley, and, and he does definitely has the ability too. But yeah, or sometimes the guys who get the faster are just the right place, right time. Like you, you take the call on short notice, and you fight the guy who's ranked fifteenth in the world, and you get a win, and now you're the fifteenth guy and stuff. Uh, that hasn't been the case with Giannis. He's taken the long road, and you know, and. So far, it's been really good, and he's getting a tough guy like Rob Font. Now, Rob Font, he's a boxer that can can fight out of both stances. Uh, he, he's like a stalking kind of plotter. Uh, everything comes off a of jab. Like Jab is Rob Font's whole world. Uh, he sets up his right hand with his, you know, using a lot of feints to distract and the jab to kind of blind, and then he throws that straight right. Uh, he attacks with combinations. He's he's a bit of a point fighter. He's he's not the hardest hitter for, for the division. Uh, he probably lacks power. Uh, very boxing style where he has a high guard defense. He uses vision really well. Like he slips and stuff too. Um, he understands range really well. He's good at um, slipping a punch and leave himself back in his reach. Uh, I love that he works to the body. Like he'll jab down to the body. Uh, he can wrestle a little bit. He he'll shoot kind of into like body locks. Uh, I go back to like. I mean, it's been a long time now, but like his best wrestling performance was probably against Sergio Pettis, where he took him down a bunch of times. Uh, he took down Ricky Simone, which, is, which says a lot. Uh, he took down Cody Garber, which is say much more about Garber. Take like getting takedowns on Garber is is a good thing. Um, I mean, he took down Jose Aldo, which is even 
old Jose Aldo uh, is still pretty good. And even, even in a fight where he got trashed in Marlon Vera, he got a takedown. So uh, I think there's something about Rob Font's game that doesn't get enough credit. Uh, he's a decent grappler. He's got four submission wins. He isn't a strong defense wrestler. Uh, I mean, he's been taken down a lot in the UFC, and he'll jump guillotine, which makes it worse. But to his credit, he's hard to hold on. He does well to work back to his feet. Now, Giannis, very good striker, very like poised, very relaxed, um, almost too relaxed where he gives away rounds, a little, little bit of a Jorge Masvidal, it, it, you know, with this attitude, if I'm not getting hit, I'm not losing. But when he lets his hands go, I mean, it, it, it really is a thing of beauty. Fast hands. I like that he just touches. He doesn't waste energy. Very accurate. He's good at wrapping punches around pillars, which could be very successful against a guy like Rob Font if, if he's not slipping, if he's doing more of a pillaring game. Um, no tension in his arm, very relaxed. Good vision. He kind of sees everything coming coming at him. He's good at mixing up his rhythm and, and picking up his opponent's timing well. Um, but that might be a little bit why he's a slow starter because that's things he's looking for. Um, it's kind of reading, kind of Anderson Silva style. Um, but it, when he's slipping and ripping, it, it's good. Uh, he lands a lot of power shots, and he's he's not your, he, he's a lot like Israel Asanya, where you you look at him and you don't think he's a big power puncher, but he lands so clean. That's what gets guys. Kind of similar to Adesanya. Uh He can sneak a high high kick in. Which uh, which I like. He throws it in combination. He doesn't check leg kicks, um, and he's been surprising a lot. Like I go back to the Randy Costa, where, like Randy Costa was teeing off on him early in that fight, which uh, definitely did not age well. Uh, but I, I just think that was like Giannis just finding his range, finding his rhythm, and just got caught something he wasn't expecting. And you know, though Costa was having a lot of success, um, not much of an offensive wrestler, weak defensive wrestler. Uh, but he did show, and this is going back a long time ago now, but like going against like the Miles Johns fight, like his ability to get back up. He is a, he's a BJJ black belt. He, he's not much of a submission threat, but, um, you know, if he catches this, if he catches Rob's font in submission, that, I'd be surprising, but it could happen. Um, I think this is a tough fight. I think it's a tough fight to pick. Um, despite seeing Rob Font a lot of times, I've never had a strong read on him because – even like good Rob Font, I was never like, I don't know. I just something about him. Um, I like Giannis a lot, but I don't love Giannis. Like, I know so many people are right, like are super high on him. So many people are crowning him like a future champion, and and I'm not that high on him uh, to that point. Now, I really wanted to do that. You know, I you're reading off the card, and I don't think I've picked an underdog yet based on, on on the odds and maybe we got two fights left that maybe i'll go with them and so i was like you know what i'll go with the font like boston we both i get we didn't plan it this way but you got your houston hat on i got my boston hat on you know but then i'm like all right i just i can't get past rob font losing to jose aldo at that point in his career um and then got battered like he wasn't even competitive against marlon vera which since marlon vera i mean you know marlon vera has been really good but they're like you saw what Corey sanhagen did to marlon vera so that loss it looks a little worse now than it did a month ago and it wasn't like a pet it wasn't a competitive fight like marlon vera beat the brakes off him so i'm gonna go with Giannis. i think Giannis. it just kind of seems like a little bit of a passion passing the torch fight 
Um, I'm worried about Giannis giving away rounds to Font. Um, I think we might see Font wrestle a lot. Like I think maybe something people would be surprised. And and I think that's the best avenue for victory for Font if he turns into a wrestling match. Uh, but I'm still going to go with Giannis. I think he's got he's a cleaner striker, faster. Uh, give me Giannis by decision. Yeah, I mean, I I like everything about the the breakdown there, and I definitely agree on the ways that a lot of observers, myself included, really kind of misclassify these guys' strengths. I mean, I've thought for a couple of years now that Font was one of the better pure boxers in that division and it definitely starting with his jab he's one of the guys that about two years ago i kind of put him into that category with uh kamaru usman where the jab is not no not simply a tool but a weapon like the jab itself is like doing significant damage and changing the opponent's whole game plan uh and i thought that was true right up through the the garbrandt fight i picked vera in the font fight but i would not have been surprised if font had ended up doing devera something like sandhagen just did like i i picked font or i mean i picked vera but my thought and i probably said it on our preview at the time was you know if this is a case where font just outclasses vera i won't be that surprised but man not only did that not happen but he just took a world of damage there and i'm glad he's had a full year off you know i'm I mean, he he is a a cartel guy along with Cater, isn't he? Yeah, those are like the original guys. Yeah, so. yeah. Like I, I mean, I wonder if this is a case where maybe kind of like he did for Cater, like Tyson Chartier said, yeah, let's let's take like some actual time time off here, let your body, you know, like fully heal, and then retool for this next fight. He's also thirty five. That's concerning to me. It is because for people not named Jose Aldo being 35 is not good territory. I mean, no. you saw what he did to, to Marlon Marais. Like this this division is not normally kind to the elderly. More of them look like Marlon Marais than Jose Aldo. Yeah. Uh yeah, just it's an, an yet another case where yeah, Font's been off almost an almost a whole year and I'm sure that recuperation will help him off of two pretty brutal battles. But at best, he's going to be returning to whatever the best 35-year-old version of Rob Font is, while Yanez is still very much on the upswing. And I I agree. Like, I, as much I'm as, I'm as big a fan of Yanez as you'll find. Like, he's a Houston guy. I mean, like, we're not good friends, but, you know, he's a guy that I see him at shows. He's happy to see me. Like, we, Yeah, he seems like a good dude. He's a super good dude. I've interviewed him before. He seems like a really good dude. Yeah, really good dude. And, again, he's the guy that at age 27, like, took over Metro Fight Club. You know, yeah, when Sultan died. Let me interrupt you again. One thing I want to say, like, I, I'm i not saying he's a, a champion, but that also has a lot to do with the weight class, where <laughs> yeah. if he was middleweight or, if, well, you know, light heavyweight, He's got a little skill. To, to be, yeah. he, I, if you have Giannis skilled light heavyweight, I'm picking him to win the title. Yeah. So that's, so that's one thing I would just want to clarify. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's but, a great division. No, Giannis is a guy who does a couple of things at an elite level and has a, a couple of, you know, a relative weak spots. Like he is, he's not the same guy anymore. I don't think that got out wrestled by Miles Johns, like let alone the guy that got out grappled by Levi Moles, like almost 10 years ago. But the general idea that he, as a boxer who kicks 
is susceptible to the takedown and isn't always super great at getting back up. That's still the case. He's just a better version of the guy that Miles Johns did that to five years ago. Um, yeah, just imagine him against Aljamain Sterling right now. No, I'm not and, saying it's. I'm not saying he couldn't win. No, his striking is so dynamic. But yeah. and I, ironically, those guys probably know exactly what that looks like because he was in several of Sterling's okay. camps simulating Peter Yan for him. Um, yeah, and, and and don't you just see like Sterling taking him down, taking his back, and doing yeah. what Aljamain Sterling does, and and Marab doing it maybe worse. So, oh god, yes, yeah. So I'm not picking Yanez as a future champ, and I mean, you know it's the classic thing you hear whenever there's a, a striker moving up one of those divisions. I want to see him against a wrestler font might be it. You, you made the point font. His, his offensive wrestling in particular is as underrated as anything about his striking is overrated. Um, he's, I always picture him until he gets in the cage as being taller and skinnier and lankier than he is. And then I'm always surprised when he gets in there and he's actually, well, I mean, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's not he's not Marab, but you know he he's he's a little stockier and more built than I always expect him to be. Like, um, and his his offensive wrestling is good. The question is, will he turn to it? Because if he chooses to conduct this fight entirely on the feet, I do think he's going to uh, just get outstruck by Giannis. Like, you know, who knows? Maybe Giannis doesn't really crank it up until the next round. Maybe like it's one of the reasons he's probably a good guy to simulate Peter Yan for you. Uh, you know, Yanez spends the, the early time kind of getting his bearings. Uh, but he's he's kind of getting into that in the zone point where once he turned it on against Tony Kelly, Kelly couldn't lay a finger on him. And just everything he, he, he threw landed and landed with unexpected power because it was coming at unexpected angles and unexpected times. Uh, hopefully the Yanez that kind of gave Davey Grant and Randy Costa brawls is is gone you know hopefully that guy is in the rear view because now he's you know he's running metro fight club but he's having eve edwards run his own camps for him you know like so he has an actual head coach figure uh that's cornering him and, and training him for specific opponents uh i i understand why the line is what it is here i i'm not surprised if i were a betting man i wouldn't touch this but i do think this is going to be a good night for Giannis. Uh, give me Giannis probably to win the second and third rounds uh, if he's slow to really turn on the Jets, maybe he wins all three. Otherwise, I don't see a finish here. And it all becomes a different fight if Font tries to take him down early and often. But I'm guessing he probably doesn't. I'm guessing Font probably doesn't try to take down until or unless he really doesn't like what he's getting on the feet. And by then it might be too late. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC 287, a welterweight matchup between Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal. Burns, the 36-year-old Brazilian by way of Florida, is 21-5 and overall. He is 14-5 and in the UFC. He is 7-2 and since moving up from lightweight to welterweight. Uh, his only losses since moving up, his uh, unsuccessful title challenge against Kamaru Usman back uh, just a little over two years ago at UFC 258, and then his competitive and extremely exciting decision loss to Hamzat Shmaev uh, almost exactly a year ago at UFC 273. Uh, since that loss to Shmaev, Burns came back just this past January at UFC 283 and ran over Neil Magny on the ground on the way to a first round arm right 
arm triangle choke submission. Uh, he'll look to make it two in a row. We'll look to mint himself a continued factor in the title picture of his division against a fellow former title challenger in Masvidal. The 38-year-old Floridian is 35 and 16 overall. He is 12 and 9 in the UFC. He is 7 and 7 since moving up to welterweight uh, from lightweight as well. He is on a three-fight losing streak, though in his defense, the opponents in those three fights were Kamaru Usman, Kamaru Usman again, and Colby Covington. Uh, the most recent of those fights, the Covington fight, was the headliner of UFC 272 last March. He lost a unanimous decision in which he got out-wrestled very badly uh, for 25 minutes. He got his revenge in the street, sucker punching, allegedly, sucker punching Covington and knocking some of his chicklets out. Uh, you know, but that's a story for another grudge match, perhaps another day. Going into this fight, Burns is a prohibitive favorite. Uh, he is minus 500, Masvidal plus 350. Keith, this fight, I mean, we talked about it off the top that it has extremely high stakes for the title picture, especially since Kamaru Usman is no longer the champ. These guys don't have that velvet rope between them and, and another shot at gold. There is a huge, I, I mean, it's rare that there's this big uh, a line on a fight that could propel either guy to a, to a title shot, but uh, there it is. I mean, do you agree with it? If you don't agree with it, do you at least understand why it's in place and who you got in this one? I think I think the, the line is the based on how hard Masvidal hits. I think the line is you know a little bit, a little bit too wide. But I mean, I get that Burns is the favorite, and, and it seems like he's one of the easier guys on the card to to pick. Side note: I I, I want to do this. I know, I know you tried you sidestepped it with because you're a professional, but again, we. I, I mean, I guess we could. Go get the police report and everything. I don't know what happened with Masvidal and Kobe Covington and all that, but if he really like snuck up on him at a restaurant from behind and punched him, I, you know, I heard some people say there was breast. I, I don't know. Like you don't come off as cool. Like you come off like you come off like a criminal. Well, like you're the good guy in this situation. Kobe Covington's a bad guy. Like you're the bad guy. Like what are you doing? Did you know? You don't. You had 25 minutes to punch a guy. Don't like, what are you doing? You, well, thank cool. you. That is it. He, I know that he said it was because Covington talked about his family and Covington crossed this line, that line. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Masvidal had 25 minutes to do something about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Even you talked about his family, you had 25 minutes to do it. Yeah. And then like get a sneak up to get him. Like yeah. if you, if you called him out and you're at a restaurant, Hey, Kobe, I'm outside. And he comes out and you do it Rocky five style fighting in an alley. Still not cool, but at least like, but if you actually snuck up to him and, and punched him again, allegedly, I have no idea. Allegedly. Maybe, maybe it was like Rocky Five or whatever, but it just, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Kobe deserves to get punched, but at least give him a Leon Edwards, like face to face kind yeah. of thing. Then, then, but, it, but regardless, no matter, even if you win that exchange, you look bad because you fought him and lost. I mean, who knew that the guy who first came to our attention for boxing up Ray at the boatyard, you know, would, would have multiple like unsanctioned fights since being signed to the UFC? Like, I know, who, I know. That's who, a good who point. saw it coming? Yeah, I know. that's a good point. That's, I, mean, I guess, I guess, you, yeah, I guess you should have known better. Yeah. Um, and I get it. I know it's a lifestyle, and that's you think is keeping it real. I mean, it is whatever. But, 
I thought he was uh, out of that lifestyle and into the I wear like Hugh Hefner robes and fight once a year style. Like, yeah. You know, that, yeah, well, that's the late 30s self, you know? Yeah, Kobe, uh, Connor does that too. And he fights, he, he's punching old man and all yeah. kinds of stuff too. So, um, I mean, it is what it is. They're, they're cage fighters. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting, trying to get too high and mighty. Uh, Masvidal is in, I, I just don't like this matchup for Masvidal. If, if I'm matchmaking Masvidal, I'm trying to get him a name in the division but an easy fight. The guy hasn't won a fight in three, you know, a, a sanctioned MMA fight in three and a half years. Um, I, I don't know who that person is, like off the top of my head, but it's not Gilbert Burns. Like, I'm, and you're putting in his hometown, you're putting in Miami. Like, what are you doing? Like, give him an easy win over, get him, I don't know, Matt Brown or, you know, or, yeah. Like, I mean, Donald Cerrone isn't around anymore, but that would have been like if Donald Cerrone was still around or so, somebody like that would have made sense. Like, Gilbert Burns, but a- anyways, I mean, you might as well. Is this where you bring in Brian Barbarina? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, shit, Brian Barbarina would have been. Uh, if, if Brian Barbarina had a big name, like, who, who, who has a big name that's like completely shot? Everyone, I mean, if Diego Sanchez was still on the roster, no, I, I mean, you named it Matt Brown or. You know, if Cerrone had stuck around for one yeah, fight, Kyle those are your guys. Around or something I mean, like he that. already plunked Cerrone once. Like, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I mean, I mean, I know Darren Till can't make one seventy anymore, but if like if he could over someone, and like, he already knocked out Darren Till. No, like, I know, I know, yeah, yeah, I know, know he did. I know he did. He knocked out. Uh, I mean, you know, well, I would say Stephen Thompson. He he lost to Stephen Thompson, but then he probably loses that fight. But I don't know. I don't know the person. Put in the comments who the person was that I'm thinking. There's probably somebody, but I mean, Masvidal is a striker. He he does move well. He's got good footwork. Uh, he he can give away rounds because of his low volume. We were just talking about Adrian Giannis. But when he's throwing, snapping jab, his, his counter left hook is his best strike. That's the one that he put Darren Tell out with. Uh, I love that he switches stances and then it, like he'll switch stance. If something Adesanya does, he'll switch stance and then attack immediately before his opponent can make the adjustment. That's really good. Uh, I love his power combination, especially like his his straight left to his left hook. Like he'll throw on the same side. He'll like throw a straight left and come around with a left hook. Uh, I do think he's one of the biggest punchers in the division. He, he, he hits hard. Um, he's got good leg kicks, uh, though he doesn't throw them enough. He's an underrated offensive wrestler. He'll occasionally sneak in a takedown. Uh, like it, it, more like if someone like throws a body kick against him, he catches it and, and, and uses that, you know, instead of just, I'm going to catch this and just let go of you, like follow it to a takedown. Uh, but it, his takedown defense has really struggled against, well, I, I think he's a, hard guy to take down except the upper echelon wrestlers yeah. like like Kobe Covington like Kamara Usman um, he's pretty good at scrambling he, he's got you know I said it's, it's, it's hard to take him down and it's really hard to submit him I mean David Maya did uh, couldn't submit him in 15 minutes and the last time he was submitted was 14 years ago it was um, a memorable one though it was extremely memorable <laughs> one that people always continue to like to bring up in yeah. the uh, inverted triangle. Yeah. Uh, but in fairness, he's going against Gilbert Burns. If, if there's anybody on the entire roster that could submit him, it's Gilbert Burns, <laughs> you know, or or not. I shouldn't say anybody on the roster, but he's he, he's in the club of guys in the roster that could submit him. Uh, and I know someone to say, well, Dan Maya could submit him. I know. I, I, I already said it. So uh, Gilbert Burns. He, he's very, he's a very intelligent fighter. It's something like we, we he, he's so explosive and he's so dynamic. 
I don't think people talk about how intelligent he is. He knows where his advantage is, and, and he's well-rounded, and he gets it there, and he puts himself in the position to win. He's got fast hands, tight inside boxing. He attacks with combos. He gets in the pocket, and he unloads big, big shots. He's a hard hitter. Uh, I mean, he starts Damon Maya. He, I mean, he'll, Gilbert Burns was seconds away, if you remember, from winning the UFC welterweight title. I mean, he had Kamar Usman hurt. Yep. Did he had Shemayev hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to be the bull. Um, he wants to be pressing. Burns was the, the tie turn in the Kamara Usman fight when Usman was able to pressure him. The last time Burns looked, didn't look great. I mean, he still won. It was like Alexei Konchenko uh, was pressing him, um, forcing him on the back foot. That's what you got to do with Gilbert Burns. I don't know if Masvidal is that guy that can do that. Um, because he doesn't get back to like even Damaya. Damaya backed him up to the fence and, and tried grappling him. Uh, he struggled with the jab of Usman and, and Shemayev, but those are like two massive welterweights, and he's obviously the, the you know the shortest welterweight in the division, I, I think. Uh, so that has to do you know with their height and their reach. He's got a great chin though. I mean, he's taken some damage and just keeps coming. He's a good dirty boxer and. On the ground, I mean, he's a elite of the league. He's a three-time like world champion. Yep. Good takedowns. Uh, I, I mean, he made Steve. I'm mean, not that this is the perfect example, but he made Stephen Thompson look like a takedown dummy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. just good entries. Like we, you know, we think about it. He's he. When we talk about grapplers, I, I say this a lot. Like, oh, he's a BJJ grappler, but he's not a wrestler. Burns is the guy who he can wrestle mm-hmm. for. Again, you know, within reason. He's not going to out wrestle. You you know. Yanni Diakamahalas or anything. So, like, take it. But for MMA wrestling, he's a good wrestler. Uh, yeah, he he slammed Tyron Woodley with a power double. He he's landed body lock take. He's done dip throws. I mean, I go back to the Gunnar Nelson fight where he threw Gunnar Nelson with a judo throw, which is quite a feat. Gunnar Nelson is a good grappler himself. Uh, mm-hmm. Incredible top control. He's got brutal ground and pound. Obviously, a submission threat. He only needs one second to lock his submission. I mean, look at his fight against Neil Magny. Just took him down, subbed him. Uh, yeah, Burns is a big favorite. And, and I think the – I mean, if the UFC is rooting for Masvidal the win. I'm, you know, it's in Miami. He's the bigger name. But I, I, don't, I think this is really poor matchmaking in, in their part. I, I, I'd like Burns here. I think he has the advantage everywhere. I think he takes Masvidal down. I think he works him on the ground for 15 minutes. I think he lands a – I think he might even land some better shots on the feet due to Masvidal dropping his hands, worrying about Burns' takedowns. So, like, second round, third round, Burns might land some big shots on the feet. Um, I really only give Masvidal a punch's chance, like, landing one big shot. So, give me Burns by dominant decision win. Yeah, I I wish I had something to bring here to, to be contrary, but I agree with the entire breakdown there. Uh, and I definitely agree that Burns is – on the very top shelf of elite BJJ artists who have developed uh, an actual like wrestling game. Like he's, he's up there with your, I'm, I'm, I mean, Jacare, it's kind of the prototype to me, like a world-class BJJ guy who just learned to wrestle. And then Dave Maya had that single, like that really yeah. that single. Yeah. Single and, and plenty but, of ways, unexpected ways to finish it that didn't need him to be a super. Yeah, athlete. he'd find ways to like get down to his wraparound leg, get down on his hip, and then sweep over and stuff. Yeah. So he yeah. still had like a, 
he's not that explodes through your hips like Burns is. No, I and yeah, Maya never had that athleticism, but he's still like lateral drop Chael Sonnen, like Chael Sonnen had never wrestled before. Uh, yeah, that's, that was, that definitely is one of the most impressive yeah. moments. Like, and he he is an explosive athlete. He, I mean, he hits stupid hard. Like Masvidal has power that just comes from real solid technique. You know, like it doesn't look like he's hitting blistering hard until like he catches some guy clean and he just drops like he did the Darren Hill. Like Burns, it looks like he's hit it crazy hard, and sure enough, sure enough, he does. The problem for me here is Masvidal's routes to victory all seem either just unlikely to happen against Burns or unlikely for Masvidal to do against anybody. Uh, his problems with defensive wrestling have definitely been exposed against Usman and Covington. He is not, I mean, Burns is not quite that level of takedown artist, although I think he should be able to get takedowns against Masvidal when he, I mean, if and when he wants. Masvidal, I, I mean, he needs a Ben Askren who's just not a great athlete and kind of comes running heedlessly at you, you know, for a telegraphed and very long, like, double leg. Uh, that's not, Burns not going to do that. Masvidal hits stupid hard. I, I mean, Darren Till was beating him until, you know, second round, Masvidal catches him with that nasty left hook and, and Till's gone. Burns has been lamped in the pocket before, but you have to go all the way back to the Dan Hooker fight where he was still fighting at lightweight. He was not as good a striker as he is now, and he was making a huge weight cut that probably compromised his chin pretty badly. Like, that kind of thing has not happened to welterweight Gilbert Burns, really. Like, the people who have beaten Gilbert Burns at welterweight are ultra-powerful wrestlers and outstanding athletes in Kamaru yeah. Usman and Hamzat Shemaev. Masvidal is neither of them. No. Like, I don't even think Masvidal is going to get a comfortable Masvidal fight because the 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 scouting report and the complaint and charm of him up until kind of his superstar break in 2019 was that like he had like five split decision losses in the UFC because he was a little too content to showboat and leave rounds closer than they needed to be because he was yeah. the ultimate example of the guy that thinks he's winning if you're if you're missing him. Uh, yeah. Like. I don't like Burns isn't even going to give him that kind of fight. He's not going to give him a comfortable split decision loss. I think Burns is going to take it to him because Burns suffers when he's put on his back foot by somebody who can push him around a little bit. That's not Masvidal. Masvidal doesn't tend to put his opponents on the back foot. He tends to wait for him. Uh, yeah. I, I think Burns is going to put the screws to Masvidal in, in this fight. Uh, uh, Masvidal has not had a submission loss, like you said, in like 14 years. It was at 155 pounds in that first season of Bellator. It was one of the YouTube viral moments that helped make Bellator into, you know, now probably the number two promotion in the world. But I, I think Masvidal gets his second submission loss in a decade and a half here. Uh, give me Burns to be winning this fight by the third round, like already winning handily by the time he takes Masvidal down one more time and reminds us that he is a three-time Mundial's champ and a former Abu Dhabi bronze medalist, you know, beats him up a little bit. Masvidal turns his back, gets the rear naked choke. All right. I got, I got, I got the names for you. All right. Hit me. All right. So a guy that is an easy fight for Masvidal, but a big name, George St. Pierre. 
right? That's an easy win for Masvidal, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Call it Joe Rogan, right? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know if 40-year-old George St. Pierre comes out of time hasn't fought like five years, seven years, whatever <sighs> it was. I still think I'd take GSP. That's – oh, no. Maybe, I, not, maybe, I, not, maybe not now, but prime GSP. That was one of the, listen, I get the like talking – like trust me, I get the like pump up a guy who's fighting. I get that. But like stay in your lane a little bit. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I'm one of these guys, I believe that athletes are better now. Like, I think Matt Hughes would have really struggled. Like, a prime Matt Hughes would have struggled yeah. now. And, sure. But, like, not George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre would have ruined what he oh. it up. When, when St. Pierre was, his, was at his absolute best, when he, like, pummeled BJ Penn into quitting in 2009, that was literally within a month of when Masvidal got inverted triangle choke by, by Toby Amata. No, no, I'm I'm trying to say I'm talking about prime George St. Pierre versus prime Masvidal. Like not, prime, not, so, not, not, I'm saying like if you could have you know oh, fast so, forward prime George St. Pierre to to like right. well, here's, the, here's, here's the follow-up question. Tell me when when is prime Masvidal? Like what's know. like what's like, what's Masvidal's best win? Uh Darren Hill. Of of flying oh no, flying knee Ben Askren. I mean it's only five seconds, but yeah. Yeah, right. I mean that, that, those, that like those back to back. Those are the highest ranked opponents he's beaten for sure, you know. And Daratello, I don't think is he's won one fight since, and 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 Ben Askren had to have hip surgery and was getting knocked out by Jake Paul. Yeah, like, I, not that not, not that long after. So yeah, they didn't age well. Yeah, like with that, we come to the main event of UFC 287, a middleweight title fight between defending champ Alex Pereira and challenger, former champ Israel Adesanya. Pereira, the 35-year-old Brazilian by way of Connecticut, uh, New England zone, is 7-1 overall. He's 4-0 in the UFC, uh, a run that has seen him capture the title with uh, as little relative experience as almost any champ in modern promotional history. Uh, he knocked out Adesanya in the fifth round at UFC 281 last November. Uh you know, in the last round of a fairly back and forth fight. Prior to that, he had knocked out Sean Strickland, taken a pretty one-sided unanimous decision over Bruno Silva and blown out Andreas Michaelides with a flying knee. For the first defense of his career, he will take on the man uh, from whom he took the title and a man with whom he, of course, very famously has some history in the kickboxing ring as well, former champ Israel Adesanya. The 33-year-old Nigerian by way of New Zealand is 23-2 overall. He is 12-2 in the UFC. He is 12-1 uh, at middleweight. Uh, he, of course, went completely undefeated in his division uh, on the way to winning the title, defending it multiple times. Uh, almost exactly two years ago at UFC 259, he moved up to light heavyweight attempting to become a two-division champ. He came up short against then-champ Jan Bohovic. Uh, afterwards, returned to 185, rattled off unanimous decision wins over Marvin Vittori, Robert Whitaker, and Jared Cannonier before running into Pereira last November. Odds coming into the rematch. And Keith, I know that you do everything you can to avoid seeing the odds before I read them off to you. Despite the way the last fight ended, Adesanya comes into the rematch a slight favorite. He is minus 140, Pereira plus 120. Keith, I'm definitely going to throw this one to you first. But to me, if 
a title fight ended, you know, with a stoppage win and the losing fighter is still the, is still the favorite coming into a rematch. I mean, <laughs> we it, saw that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And fluke, I mean, fluke is a matter of opinion, obviously, but it tells me that whoever is betting on this and driving those lines thinks that the losing fighter has things that they can take back to the drawing board and fix. Mm-hmm. Whereas the fighter who won has to thread a very similar needle once again. I mean, tell me if you agree with that and tell me, do you, I mean, obviously you're going to tell me who you think wins, but do you think the general yeah. complexion of this fight looks at all similar to their first fight? Gosh, I'll say this. Uh, well, one we just we just saw this a couple weeks ago with Leon Edwards and Kamara Usman, where Kamara Usman got knocked out in the fifth round, and then came into the next fight as the favorite. And like a, I don't I don't know what the odds were, but it was he was pretty significant. I think it was even it was it was, was it was wider than this. He, it was at least a two to one favorite. Okay, yeah, yeah. and that didn't work out well. <laughs> um, and the fight it, looked totally different. Completely different. Yeah. And I, I've seen people are you know already debating on online and who's going to win this fight between Adesanya and Pereira and, and different things and you know the Adesanya camp saying you know all the things that he was doing right and then the Pereira camp talking about you know three and zero you know they always had those kickboxing and three and zero and I I do find it funny the guy who's they faced each other three times in in combat sports and he's got back-to-back knockout wins and he's the underdog again. Uh, I, I find that funny. I just, I feel like based on these guys' skills, how anybody could be super confident in a pick. Cause I see guys are like, some people like, Oh, that's not just going to be for sure. Or it's other people like, no, Paris, how you can watch the skills of these guys. Like if you picked out Asanya, the whole time you got to be terrified on the edge of feet that pay is just going to land that bomb left hand or a straight right or whatever. And then if you're prepared, you're like, yeah, man, he's going to win that. You're going to be at the edge if you see every time he throws it, he misses. And you're like, oh, man, out of sign is banking minutes and banking rounds. You're sitting at the clock and you're waiting for it, you know, hoping it's going to land. Kind of like kind of like Sanhagen and, and Marlon Vera a couple weeks ago where you're waiting for Marlon Vera to win a big shot and it just doesn't come. Um, let me ask you this. <laughs> One guy's 3-0. and but doesn't it seem like the biggest rivalry in MMA right now? Of active guys who are fighting, you know, not not talking all the time, not talking DC and Jones, but like right now, what's a bigger rivalry in MMA? I, 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 that's a fair question because this this feels like a huge deal. It yeah, and it is. I, I, I like I'm super excited. Like, you know, I'm excited for every main event. I'm excited for every card. Like even you know we downplay it a little bit, and, and sometimes it's a little bit for like entertainment too. But you know. I, there's nothing I'd rather do on a Saturday night than watch fights. Nothing. Well, I'm I'm more excited about this fight than I was the first fight, obviously, because I, really? I yeah yeah I I I had I had Adesanya winning the first fight pretty comfortably in in the preview, and up until a minute into the fifth round, I was like, well, yeah. this was tougher for him than I thought, but you know, maybe because I was I was in attendance, I was in the arena, I was in New yeah. York City. I, I I was there all week long interviewing the fighters, interviewing, seeing, you know, Paya walking around, seeing Adesanya walk around, seeing Adesanya coming in with his whole entourage. He had like 80 people with him and Paya just 
you know, being in New York, just everything in New York City just seems bigger. You walk out, you walk out of the hotel, the hotel's right in downtown Times Square and seeing the big billboards and the celebrities and all that. So I will say that I was, you know, more excited for their first fight. But again, what I've, it's just nothing about New York City. They're just different. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, I was so excited. Like their, their entrance music was perfect and, and Madison Square Garden and, and you know, as, as far as this fight, so I'll t- let me tell you something, what I, what I did. Um, so right before we, we started, I, I, we started to film this Sunday night, nine o'clock and it was about, I don't know, eight fifteen, maybe eight ten. I was pretty much like, all right, I'm done with my, I'm like, I'm not doing any more tape study. Usually I just go right up to the clock, right up to you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you hit YouTube, you get the things that you search for, you get suggestions and, 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 you know, I love watching like technical wrestling videos and, and moves and, it was like a Jeff Jaggers like highlight video. So I'm like watching like this Ohio State wrestler from like I don't know early mid 2005 ish or something mm-hmm. like that. So I'm watching one of his videos and then it like rolls into it rolls into a Bo Nickel video. And then it rolls in guys. You guys actually thought I wasn't gonna get a Bo Nickel reference in there. Of course I'm gonna. Uh, and then it gets to and then it gets to ESPN and it's Fortis MMA head coach Safe Sayud breaking down this. Oh. This vent where it's like it's it's one of those I forget what it's called but I think it's called like UC breakdown or something something like that. It's super technical. It's like film studies, like slow motion in this. So I feel like we do an extreme. We do the most in depth show. I I really believe that we do the most in depth show there is. But you know, this is just the main event. We do the entire card. That's what, that's what I mean by it. But I always feel like oh man, we like we like we go more technical than anybody else and this and that. And then I watched, like, Coach Sayud like break down, <laughs> like, like this skill set, and I, you know what I feel like? Like, I thought I had a master's degree, and then I realized I'm like, I'm the kid in kindergarten who's reading at a first grade level and feeling special. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching his breakdown, and I'm like, it's just, it's absolutely fantastic. So um, I feel like a dummy now trying to break this down after watching that, but I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, Alex Bahia, I'll start with the champion. Long and lengthy fighter. I, I told you, I know I've told you this off air. I, I don't know if I told you on air. The last time, you know, when they fought each other, I was there and I I, had the, I go to New York City the, the day of the media day. That's the first thing. I leave super early in the morning. I, I drive up there. I get there and it's like, because they, they interview like pretty much the entire card. There's like 20 guys. But, you know, you interview for like 10 minutes and there's like a little break and stuff. And then you, 10 minutes later, another guy goes up and whatever. So I like go to the bathroom and I walk out and I see Alex Bayham. He is the biggest dude in person. Like I can't describe to you. This is a guy cutting weight at this time. The guy looks like a freaking heavyweight. He is so big. In fact, I came back and I so I went to the bathroom. I walked right by him. I went to the bathroom and, and then because he was coming up next, or maybe he was up like you know, this because they're like they go in another room and they like meet with DC and Joe, you know, Joe Rogan and everything. And they go to another room and they take in, you know, they do those pictures, you know what I'm talking about the way they're like, yeah. Yeah. You know, the camera guys taking pictures of them for the promos and whatever. So I don't even like notice that it's him because he's got like a hoodie on, but like you can see his face, but he's so big that it doesn't even register my head 
this is Alex Bahia. Just like I'm thinking it's like some heavyweight in the card or someone's huge freaking teammate or some shit like that. Then I walk back and I see him again. And I'm like, holy shit, that's that's the guy fighting in the main event. I didn't even recognize <laughs> like that's how fucking big this dude is. He's humongous. Anyways. Um Anyways, back to his actual skills. He, I mean, he's obviously an elite striker. You, you know, glory, multi-time glory, kickboxing champion, fast hands, um, extremely explosive, extremely accurate. Um, he's best when he's marching forward, and everything's short shots, like sh- no tells, can land. You know, a kill shot in in the smallest of space. His left hook is like a cheat code. <laughs> you know, it's like a like a video game, you're playing a video game and, and, and you get like a superpower and, you know, like I've played smash brothers with my son and he, he knows all the, he knows all the tricks and he, I'm just hitting buttons. I'm just hitting things like this. And he, he knows like left, right, up, down, selected. That's going to get him some superpower thing. And then he, you know, he, he, you ever play smash brothers? Sure. <laughs> okay. you like, yeah. he punches me where like on a, like an Island, he punches me and I fall in the water. Like that's, that's like <laughs> Alex Payne's left hook where he just knocks you off the Island. And as my, I'm freaking Donkey Kong trying to get back on the Island. I can't do it. <laughs> you know, my eight year old son's laughing at me because he's so good at it. Uh, that, that's Alex Payer. I mean, he can show up while he, he can strike while backing up. Um, he can also like back up and then suddenly just stop on a dime and just land the shot. Um, he has, so much power and it's because he has perfect foot placement he's got such a wide base strong base where he generates so much power from his from his legs um you know you've seen it against bruno Silva fight we saw it against sean strickland where at times he won't throw enough um but when he lands it's deadly uh I mean, and then even the last fight against Adesanya, he he didn't, wasn't matching the volume of Adesanya. Uh, he has great leg kicks. It's something that Adesanya actually addressed in the post-fight press conference. He was talking about, um, you know, we always talk about the knockout. Was it early? You know, was it early stoppage? You know, fifth round in a fight that Adesanya went in. There's a big debate about it. But Adesanya was talking about, like, the leg kicks. I, I'm surprised Adesanya admitted that. Because <laughs> if it's to me, I, I don't want to admit it. Unless... Unless I, I mean, Adesanya is a he. He tries to get people's head into maybe, maybe the leg kicks weren't bothering him, and he's trying to try to you know yeah. know they're gonna have a rematch yeah. and sprinkle it out there for him. So he's because he's worried about the left hook instead. Maybe I don't know. Um, but if if it was bothering him, I'm surprised that Adesanya threw that out there about how much you know he said his legs was bothering him. Uh, he 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 does keep his chin high and he drops his hands like that's one thing. Um, Coach Safe Sayyid was talking about like how low he keeps that left hand. Uh, which is a good and bad thing. It's a good thing because you don't see it coming. The bad thing is, is there's no defense. Uh, very, I think he's good in the plunk clinch because he's big, um, beautiful knees. Weak takedown defense. I mean, Adesanya took him down. Adesanya lateral dropped him. Uh, and he struggled to get back up in, I think it was the third. Third round. Okay. It was third round. I was third. I was sure it was third or fourth. But third round, he put a big chunk on his back, which is. Uh, an issue, um, but I'm not putting them in the bank for sure because one of these guys newer to MMA and just his size, like it's still a lot of energy to take some die down, hold him down. Now, out of, and plus he's got a fantastic team and a fantastic coach. And if you really think about, it, um, you know, to share MMA in, in Connecticut, obviously they're 
attracted more talent and is becoming a bigger team, but it still almost feels like a boxing um, camps where it's like very essentially focused on one guy. Mm-hmm. It's still a smaller team. Yeah. So like they can address some things. Like I'm sure they're addressing the way he, he got back up and the way he got taken out. Like I'm sure they're really focused on some of that stuff. Now, Adesanya, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. He, he's my favorite guy to watch film on. Um, long and lengthy fighter, very poised striker. Uh, he can f- He's a master of fighting out of both stances. I've said this before. I'm saying it again. What is Adesanya? Is Adesanya an orthodox fighter or is he southpaw? I don't know because he flows so like now like a lot of guys will fight out of both stances, but he flows out of both stances. You know what I mean? Like it's not mm-hmm. like okay, I'm orthodox now. Okay, let me switch. I'm now no. He just boom. He just it's way a guy attacks and the way he cuts corners, he'll sw- he'll turn like he'll, he didn't like back away or circle away. He just like changes stance, changes foot placement, and then he's now he's now suddenly he's southpaw on you. You know, he's got great footwork. He's constantly lining up his feet on the outside of line right to let, you know, set up his straight shots. Um, he's like Anderson Silver and John Jones and these greats where he's setting up, he's, you know, starts off a little slow, just setting up traps, you know, faking with a hip, faking with a shoulder, just trying to see how you're going to react things. Uh, he's very good at changing up his tempo where he'll, he'll attack at one speed and next change he attacks at a different speed or change, you know. Um, so it's kind of hard to get his timing. Uh, he's fantastic at hand fighting where he's grabbing hand, he's pulling, he's, he's, he's throwing a shot and pulling things down to set up his, uh, his shots, sh- set up his distance. Um, he, I mean, he uses feints, fantastic, freezes guys, uh, fast hands. I've said it before, he's got like sniper level accuracy. Uh, I mean, you see how he landed on Derek Brunson or, or the first Robert Whitaker fight, the, the Paulo Costa fight. I mean, even that, even Pajero, he was landing a lot of clean, clean shots. Um, people forget. I mean, I know you did your tape study for this. Like, and, and I'm not saying this happened, but Alex Pajero might have been saved by the bell in the first round. He, Israel Asani landed a huge, I think it was a right hand. I think it was like a slip right, right at the end of the first round. And Pahad was his legs buckled. He did that like, mm-hmm. oh shit. And then he gets hit with a left hook right at the buzzer comes. Where if there's 10 more seconds, Adesanya might have put him out. Now I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying yeah. he he did. I'm just saying like the, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um Adesanya is very defensive sound, good head head movement, uh kind of rolls with shots. Um Mixes punches and kicks so well. Big kicking game. Such dexterity in his kicks. He was having a lot of success with the inside kicks against Pei in, in you know the first fight. Um, throws like a question mark kick up so effortlessly. He doesn't get enough credit for how hard he hits. Um, Muay Thai clinch is good. He's got some foot sweeps. I think he's an underrated grappler. I really do. I don't think he gets enough credit. Like people talk about, oh wow, Adesanya take down Pei. Like he can't be that good. Like top wrestlers will beat Pei and. I, I think there's some truth to that, but I also think there's a lot of just looking past Adesanya's ground game. I think he's better than people think. Like, I, I don't think he's a no, – no, let me wrong. I don't think he's a good ground wrestler. I just think he's improved and he's better. Um, I think he does need to improve his takedown tents, but, um, it, he, you know, he's not the chump on the ground that people think he is. So as far as prediction, it, to me, that's like <laughs> even – and I, I understand that setting a betting line has some to do with Vegas understanding how money works and they have algorithms and 
you know, who's going to get bet on and them trying to maximize. My, I, I understand that some, some of that, but I think it's insulting to even, even have it like Adesanya as a favorite. Like to me, this should be a straight pick them. Like just, you know, negative 100, negative 100, just or, or whatever the line, you know, how you do yeah. pick them. Yeah. Adesanya is 0-3 in, in, in combat sports against Bahia, but in those matches, I feel like he won like 80% of the exchanges. You know, um, I, I said this to you before, but their first kickbox match, I thought Adesanya won. Like, I thought it was mm-hmm. a, a clear decision for Adesanya. Um, he was winning the second round probably even more comfortable than he was winning the first round until he got absolutely knocked out. And then he was winning this one. Now, um, you know, a lot of people debated the finish. I do think the finish was on the earlier side of the acceptable range. If this, that, that make, I've, yeah. I heard Nolan King say this once where like, this is the perfect, like if there's a line, like people watching the show, there's a line between me and Ben right now. That's the perfect stoppage and say mm-hmm. Ben's on the early side. I'm on the, you know, late side. Like the stoppage was like Ben's nose. Like okay, a little on the early side, but it like it was it was completely acceptable. And yeah, I think if Goddard didn't jump in, then one or two punches later, he would have had to like it, it, it would yeah. be no like Adesanya was going down. And it it doesn't matter ultimately whether there were three minutes left in the round or no. three seconds. Oh. But like mm-hmm. obviously, if there were three seconds left in the fight and that got stopped, there'd be a lot more yelling. But yeah, sure. I mean. You, you, you never want to see your most dominant champ go down on a standing TKO, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I, I I don't think it was unacceptably early either. The uh, you know, you know, Go ahead and finish your prediction. No, otherwise, I'll just take so, mine. <laughs> I mean, Adesanya had won to me if you add up, like, the amount of time they've sparred, I guess, you know, got in there and fought. So, you know, a part of me leans to Adesanya, but that part of me just goes – Perhaps Bahia just has his number. Like, there's something about it. Like, perhaps he's the Eli Manning to Tom Brady, you know, or you know, I'm not calling, I'm not calling Adesanya the goat or Bahia, uh, you know, not that I'm saying that. I'm just saying, like, some guys have their numbers. And I, I, I know this is a narrative that was brought up when Leon Edwards won the belt. And I, I believe in this. I think when they say that you, when you win the title, you instantly become like 30% better. Like, I don't, I don't know about the percentage or whatever, but there becomes this confidence you get when you win. Where Pahira, you know, might feel even better now moving in. Like I've beat him in MA now and I have this confidence and I know like, okay, I did all these things wrong for the first four rounds, but I did this right. I forced him back. I got him in that warning track. I got him to the parts where he couldn't escape. So it I mean, obviously, so I picked out a sign the last time and and I have way less confidence this time, but I'm going to go out of Sonia. I, I, I do feel like he has the better skills. I think he's faster. I think he's got more options. Um, I think he might, I think he might surprise people and I think he might fight all the way out. And then I think we might see a lot of him crash in the pocket where one, he's trying to get around Pahea's kicks. And I also think, I think he might wrestle more. I think we might see him trying to get to the distance, get in the clinch. He was winning a lot of the Muay Thai clinch, maybe get a takedown or two. But don't be surprised if Adesanya wrestles um, because I do, I do think he has advantage there. 
Um, but a part of me loves picking Asanya to win, and I'll tell you what, because there's, I mean, again, I don't really root for fighters. I've, I've told you this before. Like, I, I root for the storyline. What's the best storyline? And I, I, I think the best storyline would be Adesanya winning me set up a trilogy because I think it's such a fantastic matchup. But also the reason why I like picking Adesanya win because I'm going to be on the edge of my seat the whole time. Worried. Oh, hey, and worried in like a no, – I'm, I'm, I pick Adesanya one win, but also worried like what's going to happen? He's going to land that big shot. Like, you know, it's um, – I just – I feel like it's like uh, it's like a lion fighting. Like remember Lion King when like the lion fought like the bunch of hyenas. Yeah. Where, yeah, like you give me one lion versus one hyena. Like yeah, I'll take I'll take the lion all day. But you give me one lion against five hyenas. Like, you know, they're all moving around, they're dancing like that. Could be out of sign. He's messing around, they're jumping on his neck, jumping, you know, biting his ankle. But that lion. You know he's he's getting bit and he's getting weaker, but boom! He catches a catches a jackal's you know or a hyena's neck. All of a sudden, now it's it's now it's that was one on four. <laughs> Does it again? That was one on three. You know he gets it down to one on two. All of a sudden, the hyenas are running home without a dinner. You know, um, that's guy kind of feel like. So people who are, no, I got if you, if you picked out a sign, you win. You're, you're going to be nervous all the time, like yeah. you know. And <sighs> I would take out a sign by decision. I think he finally gets over the hump and gets the win. As a storyline, that would be fantastic. It would set up yet another iteration of probably the greatest series of striking battles we've ever seen in mixed martial arts. Uh, you know, like two of the very greatest strikers oh, we've oh, ever it's seen. So good. Uh, so I would be good. very happy to you know to to see that. Obviously, I called the first. I called their first fight in MMA wrong. I predicted Adesanya would win, and I can't remember whether I picked a finish late, but I either picked Adesanya to get the finish late, or I picked him to kind of win going away on an increasingly kind of frustrated, tired Pereira. I mean, I was wrong in the outcome of the fight, and I was wrong in the complexion of the fight. And so that, you know, I'm thinking about the parts of my thinking that I have to re-examine going into the. Uh, the rematch and it it fits in nicely with the adjustments that they're going to have to make. Uh, Adesanya was able to take Pereira down. He took him down in the third round. The thing is, it w- he was able to do enough there to win the round, but never seriously, I never did any substantial damage or threatened to finish. And it's an open question whether he could just become wrestler Izzy and try to do that for three rounds out of five because it must take an enormous amount of energy to hold Alex Pereira down just as huge as he is. And Pereira is relatively speaking green as an MMA fighter, another four or five months of working with Glover Teixeira every day. One of the heaviest top position grapplers and most underrated wrestlers in MMA history is going to make actual substantive improvements for him. This isn't like a 30 fight veteran getting one more training camp. You know, this is, an eight fight veteran getting one more training camp and really an eight fight veteran that's going to like his fifth fight since coming back and deciding to do this seriously. Uh, Adesanya was generally the classier striker. You know, he outlanded Pereira in terms of volume. I'm pretty sure in, in every round, even the rounds that Pereira won and even the round that Pereira finished the fight. Uh, 
and with surprising amounts of power, but he never really got flowing. He never seemed completely comfortable, even when he was winning rounds, even when he was the guy landing more strikes. The way he, against just about everybody else, has gotten into that kind of matrix flow state that you described, where he starts moving and it becomes so seamless that it makes the concept of stance almost irrelevant. You know, like, uh, he, he never really reached that against uh, Pereira. And part of it, I think, is he's just not used to being the smaller guy in the cage in a striking match and probably wary of the power. And it, it turns out rightly so in the end. Whoever wins, I'm excited to see what this fight looks like. Because, you know, obviously we, we had a couple of, uh, you know, title rematches in the last few years like even leaving aside the moreno figueredo series but like when juliana pena beat amanda nunez i said in the rematch nunez is going to win and the fight's not going to look anything like the the first one like nunez isn't going to overexert herself looking for the first round knockout she's not going to be tired and vulnerable to, to get tapped out she's just going to go out there and make a point and i ended up right about that one when usman and Edwards fought again. I said, this is going to look exactly like their second fight. Only Usman's not going to make one huge mistake at the end. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, Edwards came in with a whole new game plan, a brilliant one. And it was, it was just completely uncontroversial. He just, he, he washed him. It was a shockingly good performance here. I'm leaning Pereira, even though I agree with you that I think, Adesanya is the more skilled fighter in a vacuum. And I think if you had these two guys fight everybody else in the top 15, and I mean, it's almost cheating because Adesanya's fought almost everybody else in the top 15, but if you had them both fight everybody else in the top 15, Adesanya would have a much better record against the field. But this just yeah, isn't a great, this just isn't a great matchup for Adesanya. Like this is a guy that he looks human against even when he's winning and humans always make mistakes at least one, and in Adesanya's case, it, it's all it's taken. This is twice now that he was winning a fight and in one moment, like one lapse defensively, uh, he's gotten hurt badly and finished. And Pereira, yeah, that that left hook, It's it was one of the most devastating single strikes in kickboxing for years. It's probably the most devastating single strike in MMA right now. If we, you want a video game reference, if you're like me and you're old enough that you once had a Nintendo 64, you played uh, GoldenEye, it's like the Golden Gun, where there's only one, and if you find it, it doesn't matter what machine gun the other guy has because the Golden Gun just kills everybody with one hit, and that's pretty much uh, Alex Pereira's left hook. I think this one probably will look in broad strokes like the first fight. I'm sure they're going to make some adjustments there'll be differences in the nuance. It's not going to be Usman versus Edwards three, where it's just a totally different look. I think it's going to look similar in general. Sorks. I, I think Adesanya is probably going to win rounds. He's going to outland Pereira. Pereira in the first fight, all of a sudden looked tired in the second and third round and then just found a second wind. That'll probably happen this time. If Adesanya tries to take him down, he, he will probably be able to. But I think just that moment is going to, uh, is going to present itself and Pereira is going to be the guy to take it again. Uh, give me Alex Pereira. I'm going to say fourth round knockout because if he wins, I don't think it's going to be a decision. You know, I think he's going to catch him, hurt him and finish it. So give me Pereira to defend 
uh, with a fourth round uh, TKO. Maybe this time it'll be completely uncontroversial. Any any last thoughts on this one? Let me ask you this. You just picked Pahaya. How shocked would it be if Adesanya wins by knockout? Not not terribly. Yeah, me neither. Just like I'd be not shocked. Yeah. I'm not shocked if Pahaya wins a decision. Like, yeah. check out. I mean, Pahaya wins by submission would probably surprise me, I guess, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he maybe he just learned the the big big bully uncle arm triangle choke from from uh, yeah. from Glover to share and he's gonna bust that out on on Adesanya. Who who knows? Who knows? Uh, at any rate, that has been the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 287, Pereira versus Adesanya two. I've been your host, Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time listening to or watching one of our previews, first of all, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. We do our best to bring uh, as in-depth a top-to-bottom preview as you'll find in this industry, and you get occasional story time or inappropriate jokes as well. Please do give us a like, uh, subscribe, leave us a comment. Keith and I both are good about responding to those comments. Let us know if you see any upsets uh, coming down the pike that we didn't see, or you think any of our picks are out of our minds, uh, let us know. We'll, and we definitely would, would love to hear from you and go back and forth with you. But most importantly, join us for the recap. Uh, Keith and I are live on the SureDog YouTube page, usually about 10 minutes after the main event, where Keith takes the captain's chair, and we will talk about this whole card uh, top to bottom. We'll start from the main event, go all the way down to the first prelim. We'll talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. We will talk about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers. And the live chat on the recap is wide open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, and your thoughts in, in real time. We have a growing community of friends that hang out with us after the fights, and we would love you to be part of it. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy the fights. 